nightmare. December the 13th, 2022. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Here. Councilmember Black? Here. Councilmember Curtis? Here. Councilmember Falcone? Here. Councilmember Pascal? Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Here. Mayor Sweet? Here. Thank you. Recording in progress. Wait for that. Tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting. Community members are welcome to join us in person or remotely, either through Zoom or by telephone. <clears throat> Our study session tonight is a city council discussion on the proclamation process, flag policy, and the cultural event calendar. We expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 7.30 p.m. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor, members of the council. Welcome to the last council meeting of the year. Very exciting, a lot of fun things ahead of us. Uh, but we start with the study session. Um, it's going to be emceed by our Deputy City Manager of External Affairs, Jim Lopez. He's also joined by David Wilbrecht, our Communication Manager, um, Erica Moscoro, our uh, DEIB Manager, and Darcy Eilers from the City Attorney's Office. Uh, tonight is about getting input and insight from the Council, not final action during the study session. We'll be bringing these issues all back to the Council in January. So with that, I will turn it over to Mr. Lopez to kick us off. Thank you very much, City Manager. and. <clears throat> Thank you, Madam Mayor and Deputy Mayor and Council. It's really a privilege to be here before you tonight in the study session. Um, as the city manager noted, I have just a lot of gratitude to David Walbrook and Erica Mascoro and our Assistant City Attorney Darcy Ellers and uh, Andriana Campbell as well, who did a lot of work preparing this deck for tonight's presentation. Um, thank you all for your hard work. It's an interesting presentation tonight. It's kind of a smorgasbord of interesting constitutional issues as they apply to our policies and processes, specifically the proclamation process and the flag policy. We're also going to talk about some ideas, some diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging ideas around our cultural calendar and a discussion about an anti-Semitism definition, which we hope to use in the future. So we'll move through tonight's presentation in that order. Not surprisingly, we've uh, divided up tonight's presentation into four sections, and um, they're uh, identified here. Uh, proclamations we'll, we'll start with. There are 22 slides tonight, Council, as part of this presentation. So let's jump right into the proclamations. The mayor issued 38 proclamations in 2022. Um, some council meetings had two or three. Uh, as we um, we were asked to, I think Councilmember Pascal had asked us to try to quantify that. I think we have uh, preparation for each proclamation with a memorandum, basically counting up to about two to three hours of staff time. That's kind of the full proclamation process. The reading of the proclamations out loud as well extends the duration of council meetings. And I think those were kind of the issues that the council was looking to um, get to as you um, gave us guidance as to how we might um, amend our process or think through a new ways to do it. And that kind of manifested with Deputy Mayor Arnold. Um, I think the Deputy Mayor came forward with a, a, a an LRM. I think the next slide has that 
um, <clears throat> uh, legislative request memorandum to identify resources necessary to update the proclamation process and focusing specifically on the consent calendar, which makes a lot of sense in terms of timing in the council meetings and pre-recording proclamations and posting them on the city website. So I think the deputy mayor was asking us to think creatively about efficiencies in this process, which is while still capturing the, the essential role that the proclamation process and the commendation process plays for the city of Kirkland. So this is really the sum and substance of this part of our presentation, our response to that. And in the October 18th council session, I think the council really uh, gave us great direction to balance the business versus the ceremonial needs to um, the option to still read priority proclamations while we think through these efficiencies. Again, the concept of a central location that we can direct the community so that they could see the proclamations in one place, easy to find them, um, easy to kind of transition the good uh, messages and the important messages of the proclamations to the community. To share proclamations on social media, we heard that, put it in our This Week in Kirkland listserv. We have thousands of um, people that sign up for that listserv. The council asked, also asked for a clear process and criteria to identify a proclamation calendar showing what the, the city intends to read. And this is this serves multiple functions, not the least of which sends the message to the community about what our proclamations are going to be for the year. And it's certainly an efficiency for us to know that in advance. And to review other cultural and heritage observances to add to the proclamation calendar as necessary. So part of that process I think the council gave us direction is to review the calendars that we have and the past practices that we have and to embellish upon that as needed as we move forward. So the council passed a motion directing staff to return with options and that's our presentation tonight here. So there are four recommended changes to the proclamation process that we have evaluated and we would like to communicate tonight. The first is the annual proclamation schedule and proclamation categories. Now, in this category, it's really two, it's kind of like a compound sentence. There's two embedded uh, recommendations in this one. We're going to talk about the schedule itself, and we're also going to give a little bit more detail as to what we're thinking about a proclamation categories, which might be helpful to the mayor and the council as you uh, prioritize council time. The second thing we're going to talk about is the proclamations and commendation criteria that might be added to the council policies and procedures, and hopefully the council finds that helpful to guide in the decision-making. Less complicated ideas are a community request process. We have some ideas of facilitating the community request process using our landing page, our website, and of course, to fulfill the council's need to create a proclamation webpage, which is a wonderful idea that we could stand up in really no time to make sure that there's a central uh, place to see all the proclamations. So let's jump into first, the first part of number one, which is the proclamation schedule. The proclamation schedule, this is, a, I think, the first quarter depiction here, a snapshot. It's really this, we're just publishing essentially what we do for proclamations um, to the council and likely with your um, approval or, you know, we're, we're looking for guidance tonight. With your guidance, we'd like to just go ahead and publish this calendar. And this, I think, satisfied Deputy Mayor Arnold's um, idea of just being very deliberative about the proclamations that we intend to do in the new year. 
our uh, communications manager and our deputy and our uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, blogging manager, David and Erica have reviewed our calendar. We're very satisfied with it. We certainly feel it's open throughout the year and dynamic if we need to add to it. But um, the first kind of touch point for tonight's presentation is, is the council generally um, okay with us moving forward uh, publishing and letting everyone know that we're likely to do the same list of proclamations that we did in 2022, leaving, of course, open the mayor's discretion to add to this list. And I think perhaps, Madam Mayor, I could just move through the presentation and you could stop me if there are questions. Is that maybe that the best way to do this? That sounds perfectly reasonable. Okay, thank you. So the second part of the first uh, group of recommendations involved proclamation categories. And this is where we put our heads together to try to manage the tensions of the uh, really important role that proclamations play against the critical need for time during our business meetings at the council. So here we've come up with four categories. Um, and while these categories do reflect priority, they don't necessarily uh, mean priority for all proclamations. I think it's one criteria that we're using, but certainly categories two, three, and four can be very high priority proclamations. A lot of this has to do with uh, the council's desire to read at council uh, versus another efficient way of disseminating the council's uh, desire to proclaim an important event. And the category one really is what we currently do. It's the pro proclamation to be read at this council meeting. We've added this category two, which is a video recording, um, which is very, um, you know, it's probably similar in terms of staff time needed, but it's very effective in that the council can be present to do the recording and it's very personal. Category three would be uh, placing the um the proclamation on the website listing and category four would be a direct recipient more less staff time less need for a council memo but also gives the council and the mayor discretion to be direct to recipients when appropriate and the next slide kind of goes through the categories in a little bit of detail and david maybe you could take us through some of the things that we thought about in designing this this process <laughs> sure thank you jim and good evening madam mayor council um so staff thought it would be helpful to provide a bit of a framework or uh you know some criteria around which uh categorizing the proclamations could um be a helpful process so where where we landed in this process um which you see on the slide here and i'll just walk us through um is for category one um those topics being related to a city work plan item or a major council priority. Um, and so, you know, one of the highest uh, priority items um, of various city initiatives. Um, something that's also requested by a Kirkland community member or an organization um, and or where a formal organization exists in or around Kirkland that can accept the proclamation. Um, and also we looked at those proclamations that historically have generally recurred for at least two years. Um, and as Jim mentioned, category two would be a comparable amount of staff time um, to produce a video recording, um, although there might be some options of various uh, you know, types of production, that sort of thing to be explored. But what we saw here was really the topic relates to a specific city initiative program or service. Um, but perhaps it was lacking in that um, identifiable, you know, formal community organization or someone requesting it. Um, for category three, the website listing, 
saw this as a topic of public interest for the Kirkland community at large um, and not directly related to a city initiative program or service. Um, and another way of looking at this one is also if it were proposed by city staff in recognition of a department program or service uh, such as uh, public works week, which we've done in the past numerous times, um, or as a requirement for a city certification or other recognition. Um, the example there being Arbor Day, which um, fulfills one of our um, criteria of, of being a, a tree city. Um, then category four is those that are requested by a recipient um, or the topic is of public interest for some in the curriculum community um, and may not directly relate to a city initiative program or service. Um, and as Jim mentioned, um, this would be uh, less of a um, staff uh, level of service for that. Um, and Jim, do you want me to talk through this uh, slide as well, or would you like to take it back? Yeah, I'll, ta I'll take it. Thank you so much, David. I think that <clears throat> really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the hard work you did on that. I think the underlying foundation of that is just to give the mayor and the council uh, the ability to uh, kind of be dynamic with uh, both the need to, to get important proclamations out to balance against the time at the council meeting. So now you have a lot more options that we're trying to um, create clear definitions of. And in that spirit, this is really what it is, uh, council, in terms of the staff time. Um, this is really kind of breaking it down to its elements. Um, you could see the memo and proclamation uh, is really the more heavy part in terms of the staff. And you see um, that uh, the, that's common in two, three, uh, and the provided directly to the requester is really the one, the category of four, where it's a lot less uh, time to the staff. But we do see that category one, the difference between category one and two is being significant time saving for the council. So let us stop. And, um, and again, I'm me, sorry, Jim. Madam Mayor. Yep. Um, Councilmember Nixon. Well, it looks like they were going to get ready to go on the discussion anyway, right? Yeah. Um, so when I look at this, I, I have a concern about the transparency to the public of the category four ones. And my feeling is that at the very least, every proclamation we make should be posted on the website. Um, whether or not it goes out on social media is, is another thing, but um, I guess my preference would be that every proclamation, including the Category 4s, go on the website and via the communications program, meaning it gets posted on social media. Does it need to be a press release? Maybe not, but um, that's my feeling for transparency. Thank you. Thank you for that feedback. Uh, Councilmember Falcon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I have a question related to this as well. Um, so for, I feel like these are almost like in a hierarchy in some way. I hate to say that, but it kind of feels like that, right? Um, and we're prioritizing them. So for categories one and two, um, we'll have, we will have a video recording for both, right? Because for the ones that are read at council meeting, we'll have a video recording of the council meeting. Is the plan to post the video recording clip on our on the proclamations website and if the answer to that is yes could we also just take the snippet from the council meeting where the proclamation is read and do something similar because i would hate for something that's lesser of a priority to have more prominence on our proclamations website than the top priority one so i would propose if it's not a lot of staff time to do that since we already will have the video of it being read that we add that as well sure 
unless my technical folks tell me that's not a feasible thing, I'm quite confident. I think it is, but yeah, yeah, we we should be able to accommodate that. Yep. Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, thank you, gang, <laughs> up there in the corner. Um, so I think this is really well done, really well thought out. My two questions are. How do we handle new opportunities? And I'm probably the number one culprit of bringing those things forward. So um, would like to discuss that. And then my other question before we sign off on this and say it's baked is, are there any proclamations that we're missing that we should consider adding to our list? And I pulled a couple from the Issaquah cultural calendar and they are, Jewish American Heritage Month, Disability Awareness Month, Japanese Day of Remembrance. And I think that it's important that we recognize the diversity and the cultural richness of our community and make sure that we're capturing uh, appropriate proclamations and there may be some that we're overlooked. So I would like to ask staff to do a once through um, before we finish this to make sure that um, we've captured all the proclamations we should be doing. Thank you. Uh, oh, no. um, thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And I think having that discussion um, now or earlier where we set the calendars exactly gets to the benefit of what we're trying to do with this process. Right now, our, 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 our uh, policies and procedures have uh, the mayor making that decision and often happens on the fly and starting to be able to say, okay, uh, how, how does this fit? So I'm glad that you're bringing that up so that we can set that cadence ahead of time. Uh, Councilmember Black. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. So I appreciate all the comments that everybody's made, and I, I generally agree. I wonder, um, I guess maybe this is a question for uh, Deputy City Manager Lopez, but um, I agree with um, Councilmember Nixon, but I'm wondering if, Staff's concern is that that line item proclamation on the website includes a memo, and is that and is that the issue that we're trying to avoid? And is there a simple way to solve that memo I th memo and or proclamation on the website? I think so, Councilmember Black. I think Category Four is beneficial in that it doesn't require, um, it's kind of significantly less staff time, but I think there's a way with council's guidance for us to move forward that we could satisfy council member Nixon's interest in posting the proclamation without the full uh, accompaniment of a council level memo. I think we could work through that. Great, thank you. Um, as a foundational point too, to council member Curtis's important comment, we are not, um, in, in our thinking, we're not looking to limit the mayor's discretion in any way. So the existing policy of the mayor evaluating future proclamations could be added to the list at any time as it currently is. We're, we're, we're trying to be responsive to Deputy Mayor Arnold and the efficiency of uh, just establishing what we do and letting everyone know that this is likely what we're going to do in the future while maintaining the discretion to add to that calendar as we move through the year. And Councilman Curtis, we will absolutely evaluate those three proclamations for sure as part of uh, a process to add to uh, this potential schedule. Uh, Councilman Haskell. Thank you, Mayor. So I'm glad we're doing this. 
I, I don't know why we didn't think about going through this process before. Um, I know questions have come up regarding proclamations in the past. For me, it's just, let's get something going, and then we can adjust. And I, I, feel, I feel good about what's being proposed here, but I also know that there'll be things that come up that we'll need to perhaps modify. Um, and that's really because we're trying to balance the business uh, pieces of what we do versus the ceremonial. Um, but I, I ultimately think about really what are the objectives we're trying to achieve uh, from pro proclamations, and, and there's probably multiple. But for me, one of the biggest is trying to reach as many people as we can. And sometimes I feel when, it's, when the proclamations are just at the council meeting, um, we are reaching people that watch the council me meeting, which I don't think there's a lot, but I could be wrong, um, and or people that are at the council meeting. And so, you know, kind of building off of what uh, Councilmember Falcone said, those video recordings or those postings are, do become very important because that's where you reach, I think, more people. Um, and with that being said, I also, I also would question whether or not people actually watch videos um, as compared to those that actually look at a posting or something with some written words in a photo. Uh, that would be that would be something that I would want to kind of pay attention to as we as we move forward here. Is sometimes I think just a photo with 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 the words that we're trying to convey is is very meaningful and might actually catch more people's attention. Um, so that those are just things that we'll I think we'll just want to monitor and kind of explore as we as we go forward. That's because to me it's about reaching more people, spreading the message, mm -hmm. and that's ultimately what what I want to want to achieve. I will say I do want to thank staff because you you all must keep some kind of scorecard uh, somewhere that shows how many council members have made a proclamation because I was actually counting. <laughs> like who's made the most? <laughs> I won't say who, but uh, there was one. Um, uh, but it was you got you all do a, a very good job with that. So thank you for all your work. Um, I'm going to pile on to that just a little bit, it, just to clarify what I think I heard, which is, I think it's the headline that you're talking about. So Kirkland endorses equal right or equal pay or whatever, some, some mm. issue with a picture of something. Um, I, I fully support using that in our communications. Um, I agree with John. I don't. I don't think people read through them necessarily. They should be available to them if they want to, um, but to reach more people, I think it does make more sense to approach it as sort of a headline. Um, the other comment I'm going to make is, I have turned down so many proclamations, <laughs> <laughs> um, and every organization. <clears throat> every organization sometimes gets to a point where, what have we done now? You know, we're five years old. Let's uh, let's see if the city will give us a proclamation. So, I, I just want us to be cautious of um, you know national golden doodle. <laughs> anyway, because it's all out there. They they are help dogs, you know. Um, so um, I, I love that staff is doing this. I do want it to be as little impact as 
absolutely possible. I thought the video recording was going to be simpler than, than I think it sounds like it's going to be. So I, I do support limiting that. Um, but yeah, that's where I am with proclamations. Council Member Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you for letting me speak again. I didn't realize when I first spoke that we were ready for general comments, so I um, thank you for that. Um, well, I agree with all the comments that I've heard from my fellow council members. Um, Councilmember Pascal, I think this is something we have thought of before, actually, because when we updated our council policies and procedures, I don't remember if it was earlier this year or last year, we added language in that we were going to do this every two years in even years. So um, one of the points I'd like to make is that I would anticipate that we'd be reviewing this again sometime in early, well, council at the time will um, review, do a similar process in early 2024, um, as there may be some new faces up here and some new perspectives. Um, I have similar feedback to Councilmember Curtis as well. One of my notes is that it's really hard to, as to assess what's potentially missing here. And so I really want to make sure we're being thoughtful about that, that we're perhaps asking the um, community about that was my first thought. And then my thought was, well, this would be a fantastic work plan item for an equity board. So I think that's something that I would love to see before it comes back to council in early 2024 is also to be um, to go through an equity board that will do such an analysis as well to go through and make sure that we're um, we're including things that align with our values that uh, they're proposing to council at the time. Um, I've already mentioned my comments about the video for category one. Um, also have some feedback on the Autism Acceptance Month proclamation. This year, we retitled it a little bit too late in the game, but we had retitled it to Autism Acceptance and Appreciation Month, so I'd love to see that updated. Oh, I also you. didn't see that on the list of proclamations um, that promote a safe, inclusive, and welcoming city, so I'd like to see that added to that list as well. Um, also, something I think I proposed perhaps too late in the game for this year, but I'd like to see us look at moving forward is changing um, the name and a little bit of the language in the proclamation for July around ADA month to be Disability Pride Month. Um, that's something that's uh, been an updated approach in recent years to, um, again, the same, the same history of coming out of um, ADA month, but um, taking a spin on taking pride in the disability community. So I would love to see that. And I think that is all my feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Yeah, thank you, Madam Mayor. I also didn't realize that the staff was done with their presentation that we were doing general comments. Do we want to let oh, them? We, we do have more. Yeah. <laughs> How about we let the, because the, I, I have some additional comments on areas they have yet to present. So I think oh, we would go. have them present first. Sure. I think we want to make sure we had all the proclamation comments first before we went well, to the list. Is we, there more we, on proclamations? We do have a, the next slide, if you could push to the next slide. We do have and Autism Acceptance Month is, is on this list, Councilmember Falcon. We will make sure to make those changes and to make sure that it's on all the lists that we're disseminating. We, we actually have recommended categories. We're trying, we're be, trying to be very proactive. Um, so not for decision tonight, but we've, we've taken the pen on what might be a one, two, three, or four. And we just wanted to make sure that the council was aware of that. And we can certainly follow up with a future recommendation or uh, the council can reach out to staff. Um, uh, and that's really kind of the, we're not, we're still suggesting that the mayor have discretion here based on timing to move between the categories. But 
this is kind of a the, to bring this full circle as to what we might consider um, a recommended category so that the council can have a, s a starting place. Uh, go ahead, Councilman Nichols. So to comment specifically on this, I know that the only one on here that's a four is Small Business Saturday. And Small Business Saturday sounds to me like something we should be actively publicizing. Um, right. So uh, I, I'm assuming you're not saying that Small Business Saturday would be reduced down to handing KDA a piece of paper, right? <laughs> we are talking about continuing to promote Small Business Saturday, aren't we? Thank you, Councilmember Nixon. We have a whole campaign yeah. around the small business, and that would go in full force, um, and this proclamation would be part of it. But it wouldn't fit into the one of the three announcing it categories. We certainly could bump it up to a video if the mayor and the council decided. But yes, that. thank you for um, mentioning that. It doesn't in any way diminish our investment in that day uh, should we have a program surrounding it. Yeah, quite frankly, Toby, we had a, an event uh, downtown and we partnered with the chamber yeah. and the KDA on that, so. Yeah, it's just, a, to, to me, it was just a question of, you know, I, I'm assuming we would continue to promote Small Business Saturday on social media and all mm -hmm. those things, right? Yes. Uh, Jim, is that the last slide on proclamations? Um, no. No, I think we, we go through the a couple of criteria, important criteria points, and I can move through these quickly, uh, Councilmember Nifkin, if that's okay. Yeah, that's that's what uh, I have comments on, actually. Yeah, so good. So we are, we're also uh, very much hearing that the council is looking for some guidelines and some guidance around uh, amending this policies and procedures, and it's consistent with what we have done uh, in the in the upcoming um, flag policy and, and to a certain extent in the banner policy uh, that we're saying that proclamation commendations shall be non-religious and non-political in nature. And in this context, we're defining political as related to a candidate running for public office or a ballot measure. But we're important. To, it's important to note that we're not recommending a prohibition for proclamations and commendations that include religious organizations. We're just saying uh, if the organization, if it's a relevant organization to an initiative, even if that organization is considered religious or political, it does not prohibit from including information identifying that organization. We're also saying proclamation shouldn't advertise or promote the sale of any product, commodity, or service. This is consistent with other policy, and it does not prohibit a proclamation from including information about identifying a relevant organization, even if that organization is commercial. So we're trying to use the rule of reason here in giving the council guidance, uh, whereas we're also trying to be um, respectful of the, the, um, the perhaps the need to be non-religious and non-political in nature. So yes, over back to you, back to you, Madam Mayor. Discussion, Councilmember Pascal. Loop, were you pointing? I just to had. A, yeah, I wanted to kind of follow up on this a little bit. I guess I had some, some a concern, but I don't know if it's valid or not. The one thing that I think about with the the language talks about uh, an organ even if that organization is considered religious or political the one thing that i'd be concerned about is an organization that actively uh, supports and endorses city council candidates i'm not sure how i don't i wouldn't feel comfortable of promoting such a organization in proclamations um particularly because I don't know. I'm I'm thinking that there could be, but I'm I'm the way that I read this is that opens opens that keeps the door open for those for those types of organizations. So. 
So an example of the, say, 48th District Democrats that might endorse or the Northwest Women's Political Caucus or something. Right. Where right. There could be an actual formal endorsement of the council. Yeah. But I hear you. I just, I just want to be careful of that. Yeah. I think that's kind of treading into dangerous territory. Okay. Uh, Councilmember Nixon. Yeah, thanks, Madam Mayor. Um, I, I, I share that concern as well. And, you know, 501c3s can't endorse candidates, can't make contributions to candidates. 501c3s are generally safe. But 501c4s, 501c6s don't have those restrictions, so it becomes a little more tricky. Um, uh, what, I, wh what I wanted to say, though, is um, everyone's aware that I often take positions um, opposing the council adoption of positions on ballot measures, um, on legislation, et cetera, where there's not a broad community consensus on the issue. Um, and I really hold that same position on proclamations, too. Um, uh, when, when we issue a proclamation, it really is the council um, taking a position on behalf of the entire community. And uh, I know we'd like to think it's just us, but it's not perceived as just us. Um, <clears throat> um, our existing policy, um, I think it says right here, is that they, it should be non-political in nature. And that's interpreted as meaning not talking about a candidate running for office. But I think people see political as much broader than just candidates. Um, it also includes controversial topics on which the community is divided, um, political issues, right? And so um, I th personally think that we should take a somewhat more expansive interpretation of what non-political in nature means um, uh, and, and try to avoid um, taking positions um, where even the entire council doesn't have consensus on an issue um, uh, because when a proclamation is done, the way the process works, none of us have the opportunity to ex vote against it or express opposition to it or make comments on it in any way, right? And uh, we may have an opportunity on a new proclamation to review it and suggest edits which are not necessarily accepted. Um, but. What that means is you could have dissent within the council itself, and uh, uh, the community, when it sees a proclamation, presumes unanimity where unanimity may not even exist. Um, uh, so I personally would like to see uh, a broader interpretation of non-political in nature and for us to, and I, and I assume the mayor applies this in reviewing proposed proclamations to at least some extent, try to avoid doing proclamations where the community's divided, or at least when the council's divided. Um, I, I also have, um, I, I want to speak in support of not doing proclamations that have the appearance of promoting a particular business um, or a particular religious group. We've had, we've had proclamations proposed that 
extolled the virtues of a particular religious leader. And to me, that just invites every other religious group to submit a request for a similar proclamation for their leaders. And we really should avoid doing that. And even if that leader has done marvelous things in the community, um, globally, maybe not even just particularly in Kirkland. Um, it, it did, I just don't want to get into a situation where we're doing one-upsmanship amongst faith communities and who can get the best proclamation written about themselves. Um, so uh, I, I very much like the wording here that not about non-religious and non-political in nature. I would just take a more expansive interpretation of that than what the staff has proposed so far. Thank you. Can you figure that out, Jim? Well, is it is it that the interpretation is what's in, what's the uh, council member action you're asking asking us to work with the Marin, or are you looking for new language? Well, I would like to see it not just be political being defined as related to a candidate running for a public office or a ballot measure. I would okay. like it to also be. Um, controversial public issues where the community is divided or the council is divided mm -hmm. on a particular issue. Um, I know that's a tough thing, right? Because there are controversial issues that the council wants to take positions on, mm -hmm. and we have. Council Member uh, Curtis. Yeah, thanks. Oh, okay, De Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I think one of the key parts that you've um, brought out Councilmember Nixon is that uh, given our process and the kind of discretion that we want to give to the mayor, we have the ability for a proclamation to go out that um, we're not able to have a discussion as a council on or voice any dissent. And I think one aspect of this that might cover this is just language of the policies and procedures that say the mayor shall consider the fact that uh, the council, given the timelines, the council doesn't have the opportunity to deliberate on these and should um, uh, recognize or, or issue proclamations that reflect the, that, um, or, or should, should consider the fact that the council had, wouldn't be able to deliberate or comment on that. Beyond that, I think a number of the issues and examples that I can think of on issues and topics that this council has gotten involved in has been on resolutions and um, uh, where we have taken positions in our legislative agenda and elsewhere on that. And I think that's kind of a separate topic than what we're talking about here. Councilmember Curtis. I'm always happy when Deputy Mayor goes before me. Um, I, I hear what Councilmember Nixon is saying, and I'm, I'm looking at our current list of proclama proclamations, and honestly, any of them could be controversial to someone. It's, it's challenging to find something that's not controversial. We could just not do proclamations. Um, but a proclamations is an opportunity for us to talk about our values and to recognize members of our community. I just, I feel that I don't, I agree with this language, non-religious and non-political in nature. I'm cautious about trying to define that further. So I'd be interested in what that looks like. But I also see a safety net in 
we as a council have just agreed that we will approve the proclamations and we will do that on an every two-year basis. So when we have new members sitting at this table, they will be able to approve or disprove proclamations. So, so the only way instance where this is going to be a problem is if we create a new proclamation that the council hasn't approved already. And I do think the safety net of the mayor and sitting out to the council would be a good solution. And I agree. Um, given today's incredible um, bill signing, um, that is a controversial issue. If I were asked, or <laughs> I would suggest, we put together a proclamation. Um, and, and we did that by merit of including discussion in our legislative agenda, which, which Councilmember Nixon did not fully support because of that. Um, that's my way of saying what Kelly just said, which is we're up here with our values. So sometimes our values are going to take a 4-3 or a 4-5-2 or whatever count. Uh, and I think that's okay. But I think if we can get some language in there that sort of overregulates the mayor and mayor's discretion in this, that would be helpful. Any further discussion? Jim, the floor is yours. I, thank you, Madam Mayor. I think what I'm hearing, and I can work with the city manager on this, is the the idea that the council. What I I think I'm hearing is the council approves a calendar, and then the discretion moving forward for anything in addition to the calendar might have a, a different standard or or that that which hasn't been approved or voted on by the council needs potentially an edit to this language. Uh, am I hearing that correctly? I think so. I think it's it's more like there's an extra screening that needs to go for any but for review by the mayor. Um, you know, occasionally a mayor is going to have a bent toward towards a proclamation for personal reasons, for whatever. Um, I I just I I I I'm understanding what Toby is poking at. There are some issues that can be political that are bigger than other issues. Mm -hmm. um, and when our council has already made uh, the legislative agenda language as we did, then that, in my mind, overrides the political nature of, sure. of the issue. I so, think we can work with that. Councilmember Nixon. And if I could just, just quickly say, I, I really appreciated the proclamation that's on the agenda for tonight. It's on consent. We're not going to read it. But um, and this is on the uh, International Declaration mm -hmm. of Human Rights. And it ex that, that proclamation explicitly acknowledges the fact that not every member of the council supports everything in that declaration, right? And I think if, we, if the proclama any proclamations we do on areas where the mayor knows that there is not universal agreement, if that could even be acknowledged in the proclamation, mm -hmm. that can be helpful. That's sure. helpful. That's excellent feedback. Thank you. Councilmember Curtis. All I was going to say is there's a reason that we as a council 
vote and pick our mayor. And we, our mayor is the leadership of our council and we trust our mayor to have all of our best interests in mind and he, she, they know our biases and our beliefs and our values. So I put my faith in the process of the mayor uh, reviewing new proclamations. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So one thing I guess I would say, this has been a very interesting conversation, by the way. I find this kind of thing fascinating. I'm not going to drag everybody down a long, esoteric, academic rabbit hole, although part of me wants to. Um, one thing I would ask the staff is to, when you're considering how to respond to our comments on um, this idea of non-religious, well, really non-political proclamations, I would ask you to discuss whether it makes sense to even try to define political in this policy. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm hearing my colleagues talk, the more I think the, one of the things we're getting hung up, we already have the policy already states, number, you know, section one of this policy is all proclamations and accommodations will be issued at the discretion of the mayor. So that's the overriding principle. Um, and then we, we have this modification, proclamations and accommodations shall be non-religious and non-political in nature. I would actually ask the staff to think about whether maybe this problem solved by not trying to define what political is. I also think when we're talking about this that we do have a little bit of a, a problem with, with defined terms uh, because we, I think when we've been, t I think what I'm looking at in the recommendation from the staff is that when they were thinking about political, they were thinking about, they weren't thinking about policy, they were thinking about political. Um, and some of what we've been talking about tonight is where there's not a consensus on policy, and that's really a different thing. I really think it is, um, it's, uh, you know, it is representative government. It's seven people <laughs> elected by the majority of voters, and whatever the majority of those representatives say is policy is policy. That's literally what representative government is. Um, and so the government, we speak all the time, whether we approve uh, an event in town or whether we approve public art or whether we approve um, land use planning, we are speaking, it's government speech every single time when you're talking about <coughs> policy. Um, so the question is, is, what is political? And I just wonder if we just leave it um, uh, undefined. Proclamations, accommodations shall, shall be non-religious, non-political in nature. And if council, uh, when a new proclamation is presented or when the proclamations uh, are examined every two years, um, anyone sitting at this table who represents the people of Kirkland at that time can say that is a proclamation I feel is political um, and make that objection. And the mayor elected by this body at that time can <coughs> agree or disagree. Works for me. <laughs> council Member Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I also think this is a really interesting discussion. And as I'm, you know, processing Councilor Nixon's comments and some of the other comments, I think of something that we've added in recent years to proclamations where it says that, you know, I, Mayor Penny Sweet, and then comma, on behalf of Kirkland City Council. And so I think that really is very telling to your point, Councilor Nixon, which I agree with the direction this conversation is going, that I think if there's someone who objects strongly that they have the opportunity to do so perhaps in the memo or something attached to the proclamation that there's some process for that, I think that's fair, um, but I wouldn't want that to prohibit us from, um, from issuing the proclamation either. So I think that that seems to be a fair compromise. Um, also thinking through this, dis this discussion and how we're you know, talking about kind of 
additional proclamations that could be added and that being the exception to the rule, I just wanna clarify my earlier comments and also just highlight what Councilmember Curtis said about the, you know, what's potentially missing from the list. And I think I wanna make sure that my comments earlier didn't mean that I wanted us to wait until 2024 to add those. I do want us sure. to take a look at that now before we approve this because uh, I think that's really important. Otherwise, you may have Councilmember Curtis and I coming before you saying, we want this one, we want that one, we want this one, we want that one. And I think it's better if we do it holistically now. I think it'll be easier for you, staff, if, you, if we do that now. Um, because you, like I said, you likely will have us coming to you with those kind of one-offs as the year goes through. So um, just wanted to clarify that. Thank you. Sure thing. It's okay, Jim. I have the power. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's wrap this up. So I'll move expeditiously through the, la the last two. They are far less complex. We're recommending a community request process to make it easier for the community on an informational webpage to make recommendations or ask about proclamations. And this may add to the workload, but we feel like this would be a, an efficiency that would meet the council's interests in making sure we're connected with our community. And the last of the four is, again, referring back to uh, council recommendation that we create a central web page for all the repository for all proclamations and our communication staff, thank you very much, has mocked up what that might look like. We put a button right on the city council page where you can click to find all the proclamations. Um, and we think that might be a really good efficiency and that that's ready to go. And we are not actually looking for a decision tonight at the at this study session, but we're getting a lot of great guidance and we certainly can return to, to the council if needed in the future with uh, all of the stuff that needs a decision. So that, Madam Mayor, wraps up, wraps up the proclamation section of the presentation. Proceed. Okay, let's move into flag policy. Interesting, in, uh, some additional interesting conversation around flag policies. So we can move right in. We have Administrative Policy 1.3, which documents the city's policy for displaying the United States flag, the state of Washington flag, and other flags at silly facilities. Other than the flags explicitly called out in 1.3, there is a lot of discretion here. The display of any other flag will be determined by the city council. It's just kind of this open-ended to be determined by the city council. Now, without there is no adopted criteria for the council to use to approve or deny a request to display the flag. So we did propose in the November 1st study session, we didn't quite get to it, that staff uh, uh, present policy recommendations regarding the city flag, or at least we got that and we, we later made a recommendation in a memo that we didn't get to and we're getting to tonight. Uh, council member feedback was that the use of flagpoles should be uh, rare. Non-governmental flags and banners should be rare. So we took that into, I think it was the next meeting. Uh, in the next slide, we got, um, uh, we, we proposed this flag policy update. And there's a lot of language here because there just wasn't a lot of meat to the bone on this flag policy. So what we're recommending is the new language and that, um, the city of Kirkland follows the Washington state provisions, uh, kind of a statement of the law that displays the United States flag, the Washington state flag, and those provisions requiring the display of the National League of Families POW MIA flag, which shall be displayed at a minimum at the entrance of City Hall, as according to the statute. So there's your foundational point, which we're adding to the our, our um policy to make sure that everyone can see that we're going to be consistent with the law. Now, the display of any other flags at the city will be determined by the council. And here's where staff is in interjecting some criteria. Unless otherwise required by law, the display of discretionary flags at city facilities should be rare 
and for limited periods of time, examples of other flags that the city council may elect to display outside the city facilities include the pride flag. This is a flag that the council has historically voted to fly and flags celebrating professional sports teams or local team accomplishments. We have flown the pride flag. Uh, no flag will be displayed that represents the official flag of a religious or political organization, and we had a request from um, uh, community members on that, or one that otherwise risks a violation of the Establishment Clause. And that's really the, the reasons behind our uh, reticence to represent official flags of religious or political organizations. We've also added to this policy – um, in addition to the above flags, we've added these kind of internal flags, uh, permanent or temporary inside city buildings. These flags would be determined by the city manager unless otherwise prescribed by law or the council. And examples of the internal flags uh, would be sister city flags, the world flag, flags received from visitors groups. These are more ceremonial um, flags, flags signifying recognition of awards received by the city, etc., uh, designation of events or accomplishments. Now, no flags would be displayed that are inconsistent with one or more of the city's official policies. Again, re referring back to those things that we're avoiding that might uh, run afoul of the establishment clause, priorities, sediments, all are, are considered in that. We, we would be considering those restrictions for policies, priorities, and sentiments as adopted by the city council. All flags displayed inside buildings require authorization from the city manager. So again, this is uh, much less restrictive, but again, it's still consistent with the requirements of subsection A. Um, and we feel like adding these criteria to the council will facilitate the council and and hopefully meets the council interest in limiting what the council would do in, in terms of deciding to fly a flag. And that is uh, our recommendation tonight for council feedback. We do the, the policies on the staff level. We don't necessarily come to the council for approval of policies, but we do feel like we'd like to get some feedback from the council as we think to amend this policy. Council comments? Councilmember Nixon? <clears throat> Um, my position on this is basically the same as what I just stated for proclamations, um, that uh, we should avoid um, flying flags that cause division in the community. And if the fact is that um, the reason this whole thing is in front of us is that we had um, members of the community who uh, disagreed with one of the flags that was flown who wanted to fly uh, a flag that they felt, rightly or wrongly, was representative of a different position on that same issue. And um, uh, the fact is, is that flag, and we're talking about the, the pride flag, of course, um, when flown over certain city facilities in the past has caused controversy even among the staff members. Um, and some degree of controversy, and I, I won't go into it deeper than that, but um, I think we should be careful about flying any flags um, other than those that are required by law, um, and when we do, they should be ones that don't divide the community. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just 
going to give the same Ron's response I did before, which is, in particular, flying the pride flag is a representation of our values, of our respect of a marginalized community who, frankly, still needs our support, um, as evidenced by the bill that was signed today. The purpose of flying that flag is to support people that have suffered a history of discrimination and abuse. And this is how we change hearts and minds. Because if we never take a position that is potentially controversial, we will never move forward as a society. So again, I'm going to go back to, I think this policy works because it is very simplified. And there's going to be situations where we're going to make that decision that may potentially upset some people, but it could it is still the right thing to do. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, so um, thank you, Councilmember Curtis, and, and thank you, Councilmember Nixon, for your thoughtful comments and your, uh, Councilmember Curtis, your thoughtful um, comments on the pride flag. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, um, what's interesting, uh, what else? Um, I'm going to just, I'll guess, I'll repeat um, what I said earlier. We speak as a government um, with ev almost every decision we make, um, every priority we set, um, and we speak about policy. Um, and so I do, I, I agree with this policy in that when it comes to the seat of government, we are making the display of non-governmental flags rare, and I think that's right. Um, and um, but I don't want to get hung up on the fact that um, uh, we are um, speaking. We government is speaking, and there's not universal consensus. Um, part of government is leading, and so and part of government is leading our community. And so um, I'm okay with us um, under the constructs of of a democratically elected council and a majority of the council. I'm okay with the city of Kirkland uh, speaking um, as a government. Um, that said, I have a I have a question for the uh, staff about some of the language we use here, and um, I'm going to be accused of wordsmithing, but I don't believe there is such thing as wordsmithing because words matter. Uh, in section A, we use the concept of the um, yeah, thank you. Uh, we use the concept in the second paragraph: the display of any other flags at city 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 facilities will be determined by the city council unless otherwise required by law. And in the uh, city manager's discretion under Section B, we say unless otherwise proscribed by law, which means prohibited. Um, so we're talking about prescription and proscription. I think we're talking about the same concept, but we're using proscription and prescription, and I'm not sure we're being cons internally consistent. And I would ask the staff to take a look at what we what we really, I think, honestly, what we actually mean is uh, unless otherwise proscribed or prescribed by law. I think that's what we mean. The city council has discretion unless they're not allowed to do something by law or they're required to do something by law. And I think we're saying the same thing about city manager's discretion. Mm -hmm. So I would, I'd, I'd just ask us to take a look at that. And then I'd also take a, ask us to take a look at the very last sentence of section B. All flags displayed inside buildings require authorization from the city manager. Um, maybe that's fine, but I was thinking we might need to restate that unless otherwise I think because we're talking there about the uh, 
city manager giving authorization that is not necessary to sort of state that qualification. But I would ask us to take a closer look at those two qualifications. Sure. Thank you. Happy to do that. <clears throat> Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I'm not going to be very articulate right now because I'm a little bit tired, <laughs> but I wanted to just echo some of the comments that were made by, by um, Council Members Black and Curtis, specifically um, in response to Councilmember Nixon's comments about the pride flag and about not wanting to be controversial and not wanting to be divisive. I think there's a difference between wanting to intentionally be divisive and create controversy and wanting to do what's right even if it's divisive, right? And I think that's what we're talking about here. Um, it's, it sounds like you're looking for close to unanimous community support um, in you know, making any sort of um, stand or position on things. And I think if we do that, we'll never make progress, right? We, we as elected officials were elected to represent the community and this has built into it a mechanism to do just that by the city council voting to approve um, use of flags. So I think we're covered there. You know, if we don't ever take up anything controversial, we'll just perpetuate the status quo. And that just perpetuates um, the, you know, that just favors those who are already have the most power and the most privilege. So I don't think that's what we're elected here to do. I think it, uh, again, is really important that we focus on the intent. And, um, and I trust that the elected officials will do what's, what they think is best in the interest of the community, which may not be you know, unanimous among city council, and that's okay, right? That's our job to do that. Um, but here, I think with the pride flag, it's something that's not done with the intent to divide. It's with the intent to unify and to show love, and it aligns with our values as a city and as a council. So I support this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, think, I think we have to build a little bit of flex in here. Um, the The whole evolution to the pride flag has been something that I think we have supported from early on. Um, and I'm thinking now of the evolution of the thin blue line United States flag, where the meaning changed. Um, and in fact, we, we advocated removing that flag because the meaning changed. And I think it's something that ha we have to pay attention to. Um, if, in fact, you take the pride flag and you, and you look at what it represents to a ginormous group of individuals who have been marginalized, I can't help but think that there are certainly other flags out there or could be. So I think this is a judgment call for us. Right now, we are pretty universally um, in support of flying the pride flag. I think there needs to be recognition that is it's evolved. It evolves all the time without me. I, every time I talk to Amy, she tells me they got a new color. Um, so it, this is just not a static thing, but I think the politics of it, Mr. Nixon, are there. They're inherent in the, the fact that we don't all believe the same thing. But if we're talking about the will of the council, and I think we are, then some of these more controversial flags will pro ha probably be worthy of consideration. So that doesn't give you a whole lot to add to it. Um, I think the tweaking that has happened so far on this one looks good to me. Any other discussion? 
ahead, Jim. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Just a quick note, administrative note. We did update this entire section B should have been underlined and we did it real time. It's all new language. There was one sentence here that wasn't underlined. That was just an omission. This is, yeah, thank you. David, you're amazing. So that's all real time and uh, thank you so much. Um, okay, so let's move on to the cultural calendar. Um, the cultural calendar is a couple of important items. I affectionately wrote down in my notes, I think this was from Councilmember Nixon, the dates to avoid matrix. Forgive me, Councilmember Nixon. I got that wrong, but I think that's what it was. We need a dates to avoid matrix. And um, I think we got this feedback as well from the broader council of what religious and cultural days uh, might the city really work hard to avoid in our discretionary um, civic engagement. And what we did, and I can... Um, uh, lean a little bit on Erica Mascoro, our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging manager, is what we did is we surveyed uh, the environment. We found uh, uh, a really robust cultural or basically a religious significant work restrictions associated with religious days in Issaquah. And we've published these, I believe, 15 dates. And it's this, the council's recommendation, uh, the, the staff's recommendation to council that these dates kind of form the basis of that essentially dates to avoid matrix. Um, and really, it's just that. We're not recommending that we alter council meetings, uh, but we are recommending that we publish this and we make sure that the city staff knows to avoid town halls, uh, note to Jim Lopez and others that might fall on this date. And Erica, please jump in if there's um, additional thoughts or considerations to that uh, point. Thanks, Jim. Um, during our, our discussion internally with staff about this list, we did talk about considering um, as time goes by and there are different council members around the table, different board members um, in our commissions, um, that, they, that that commission, that that city council ask the new members if there needs to be flexibility in um, the addition of considering some of these cultural dates and um, and the future meetings of those groups. Um, we did review the Issaquah list because it was very extensive and we did a comparison to what we were looking at um, through that comparison, uh, we found that there's few um, significant restriction dates that may not be on the list or otherwise um, they're on ours and not on theirs. But um, again, as many of you spoke today about being and remaining flexible, um, I just like for us to sit in the comfort of remaining flexible in our process in order for us to be able to add or modify our calendar as time progresses. We, I'm sorry, Jim, no, I have no, one no, more please, thing. Please, please. <laughs> and um, a lot of these um, religious holidays don't fall exactly on the same date each year. And so we will be, uh, the staff will be looking at these on an annual basis uh, to make sure that we have the correct dates for the following calendar year. 
Was there anything that I left out, Jim? No, I just wanted to thank you for, um, I think uh, Councilmember Curtis and Councilmember Falcone had noted the, the more comprehensive cultural list from Issaquah. And I know that Erica sat through, went through each of those individual uh, dates and we did the work of comparing it to ours. And there were uh, a, a few in there that uh, we certainly uh, hear you and recognize the opportunity to come back perhaps and add to our dates. Uh, Erica's working on that and I thank you for that. But we did go through that second more um, comprehensive calendar uh, in detail. And um, if I'm understanding correctly, we're comfortable with this, uh, these 15 dates. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Thanks, Jim. Jim. Thank you, Jim, and thank you, Erica. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. So you're, we're recognizing these religious and cultural holidays, but we're not necessarily trying to exclude meetings on these dates. And I think, Erica, you said we're going to check with um, council members, boards, and commissions whether they had a conflict with these dates. Is that correct? Is that what you said? That's correct. Okay, thank you. I just want to point out that this is not just about what works for us. It's about what works for our community. Mm -hmm. And we want our community members to participate to the best of their ability in the public process of participating in council members and board and commissions meetings. Our misstep this year was uh, setting a meeting on Yom Kippur. So I think it's important that we intentionally do not uh, schedule meetings on those dates where there are uh, religious holidays that are best if people have an opportunity to stay home. So I, I, I question, I, I think we need to look at this a little bit more and I think there are dates on here that we need to say we are not gonna schedule a council meeting or a board of commission on these dates. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yes, and just as a point of clarification, clarification, Councilman Curtis, we are, we essentially, our recommendation is a presumptive no for a civic engagement discretionary day, a presumptive no. If there's some kind of legal constraint or really, really, you just can't get it done, uh, we're not closing the door to it, but that would be our recommendation. We publish it and we just don't do town halls and if we can uh, really not do it. We're not recommending, although the council certainly is within their dis your discretion to rearrange council meetings. Um, because I think there is one date in 2023, um, might be October 17th, I'm going by my memory, where there is a conflict. Uh, yeah, thank you, David. Mm -hmm. So that would be, uh, we're not making that call, but that certainly is a council call should you want to um, change the council calendar. Thank you for that clarification. That's not what I heard, thank you. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, a, a couple of things. First of all, um, just in the name of inclusion, uh, I would like the dates that we're looking at right now to also include Christmas and Easter, even though they are also public um, legal holidays. I think that we should just list them. Not that we would ever probably have a meeting on Easter or Christmas, but, um, but I think it's good for completeness. Um, <clears throat> something that we need to address in this policy, which we also ran into with the Yom Kippur this year, is being careful about holidays that start and end at sunset versus at mm -hmm. midnight. And 
which day is it that you can't have a meeting, mm-hmm. right? If, if the holiday starts at sunset, then that evening you wouldn't want to, but how about the next day? Is the whole day excluded or only from sunset onward? So I, we need to get those things clarified. <clears throat> um, I agree with the idea that we would want to avoid these dates. I'm not sure that we would want to have an absolute prohibition, mm-hmm. particularly when there's a situation where we're legally mandated to have some meeting uh, within a certain timeline or something like that. Um, uh, But one thing I would mention is that even if we were to decide that we're not going to move regularly scheduled council meetings, um, one thing we can still do is avoid public hearings at council meetings Mm -hmm. on these dates. We could have a firm policy that says, we're gonna go ahead with the council business meeting on that date but because of the, that might be the only opportunity a member of the public has to comment on something, we will not hold any public hearings that day. We'll move it to the council meeting, mm-hmm. the next council meeting, something like that. Yeah, I see sure. lots of head nods on that yeah, one. Thanks. Uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you, Jim, Erica, and team for putting this together. I really appreciate this. Um, I think this is a great direction we're headed. I do think, um, I would like us, I like some of the language that's in the Issaquah document um, where they talk about, uh, just for clarification, the list that's in front of us here are the holidays that have significant work restrictions, which is different from a Christmas or an Easter, which is on the more inclusive list of culture and religious holidays. So I don't know that Christmas and Easter would fall under this because I grew up Christian and I'm not aware of a requirement other than that, you know, on Sundays you shouldn't be working, right? Like there are some things that we may not follow as strictly or some religions may, but with, um, these have significant work restrictions. So I think that's that um, Christmas and Easter do fall on the other list. Um, that's a little bit, that's much more comprehensive. But I really like the language specifically for the significant work restrictions list of holidays that the city should take into consideration and make every effort to avoid scheduling public meetings on. That's not to say that you can never have an exception, but really um, that a very strong and significant effort should be made to avoid scheduling public meetings. I do think that's the purpose of doing this. Otherwise, why are we doing it if we're just gonna kind of, hey, acknowledge it and maybe try not to have a meeting? I think if these are the ones that are the top priority where we are, we, we need to recognize that if we hold a meeting, even a council meeting on one of these days, we are potentially restricting members of our community from publicly participating in that meeting. And is that being a welcoming community, an inclusive community? and we need to live our values, right? So I feel pretty strongly that we do need to really heavily consider this narrow list of significant religious and cultural holidays that have those work restrictions on there. Um, I had another thought related to that that I'm forgetting right now, but, um, oh, also I noticed in the um, Issaquah um, calendar that they talked about how they formed it, um, and that one of the things they considered was the, the demographics of the city of Issaquah in particular. And I wonder if that was part of the process we looked at. Did we look to see if there are holidays and um, religious and cultural holidays that were potentially missing from this that may be in the demographic of um, our city and not in Issaquah? So I'd wanna make sure that we're doing that, um, that we're being comprehensive and not missing anything here. I also am still a little bit confused as to the answer of Councilmember um, Curtis's question earlier because I had that same reaction of I, what I do not wanna have happen is to put the burden, well, I agree with her comments that I don't, that it's not just um, 
it's not just council members, it's not just board and commission members, it's staff and it's the community, right? And so I think that's really important that we consider that. But also I do not wanna put it on the burden of um, a community member or a staff member or a council member or a um, board or commission member to have to self-advocate um, for their particular uh, religious or cultural holiday that may not have made the cut. That might be something that would be, um, that would actually be othering, right, for us to do that. And so I wanna just be conscious of that, that we don't um, require that of them. But the intent of this is for us to be welcoming, not just of current, but of potential future folks that are not already engaged that might wanna be engaged. And if they see that they're already being accommodated for, that their religion and their culture is already being accommodated, that um, they may be more apt to apply for a board or commission or to run for city council or apply for that job on city staff. So thank you. Well, uh, Madam Mayor, if I could just jump in. Thank you very much, Councilmember mm -hmm. Falcon. Just to, as a point of clarification, I think, the, and thank you for that feedback, and I think what we're hearing is that boards and commissions should be that presumptive don't hold the meetings as well. The, I think the confusion was we're saying these dates should be presumptively excluded for discretionary staff meetings like focus groups and community meetings and, and the like, but we weren't saying it for boards and commissions. I think what we were saying is it's an excused absence for anybody on a board and commission. Those tend to not be so civic. Some of them are, a lot of them aren't, but uh, so we, we thought it would be uh, okay to have the boards and commissions on these dates with the provisos that Erica mentioned. However, I'm hearing that if I'm hearing the, the guidance from the council is that just make board and commissions like all other discretionary days and don't have them if, in fact, you can get away with not having them. Just call special meetings or change the meeting date formally, if I'm understanding that correctly. I think that was the form of the confusion. We kind of created a distinction between discretionary civic engagement and boards and commissions. Thank you, Jim. And I'd also like us to look at council meetings at that one conflict in October and have a discussion about whether how we want to proceed with that. Thank you. Sure. And Eric, I hope I got that right. I, I want to make sure that. Yes, thank you, Jim. Okay, thank you. Any further discussion? Go ahead, Jim. Yes, thank you. So um, that brings us to our last category, which is the anti-Semitism definition. Um, this was on November 23rd, the council adopted, a council received an R. Kirkland submission requesting that the city adopt a definition of anti-Semitism. We, we did note that Bellevue approved a proclamation condemning anti-Semitism outlined in our memo in the May 26th, uh, 2000, as outlined in the anti-Holocaust remembrance uh, document. Uh, the working definition of anti-Semitism is as noted on the screen. And um, what we thought we would do in being responsive, I think this came from uh, a member of our Human Services Commission, in being responsive to that, uh, we found utility in, a, in, in this definition. We researched it. And Erica, you could uh, jump in if you'd like to talk about uh, what we did in order to to validate it, but it's pretty straightforward. We we researched it at the International Holocaust Remembrance um, Organization, and we feel moving forward, should there be a proclamation, or should there be an initiative, or should there be a means uh, or a need for the city to communicate about this very important issue, which has it is uh, currently um, very much in the the mainstream. 
um, disc discourse that it would be helpful for the city to have this definition ready to go. And we put it uh, just for the council to review. Um, Erica has reviewed all of the um, the processes up into it, and and we feel that it would be appropriate uh, to do. And we just wanted to bring that up in this context and be responsive to this community member and this timely issue. Councilmember Curtis. I wasn't expecting to talk so much. <laughs> you know, I appreciate this uh, community member coming forward with this request and my my immediate reaction well, is, well, of course, but I do think it's really important that we reach out to our Jewish community members, both our neighbors and our staff, and ask them what's important to them. What do they need for support? What words, what would be an appropriate timing? Um, I'm uncomfortable sitting up here and decreeing whether this should go forward or not without talking to our Jewish community. And we will have that opportunity on Saturday. Councilmember Nixon. Um, <clears throat> thanks, Madam Mayor. Um, well, I want to start by saying I'm, I'm a little cautious to make the comment I'm going to make because of the source of the definition that we have on the screen. But Personally, I find this to be a little bit of a weak definition um, because it seems to be focused on explicit hatred, rhetorical and physical manifestations, so things that are manifest, right, um, directed at individuals, their property, community institutions, religious facilities. And we've just spent a couple years talking about unconscious bias mm -hmm. and very subtle discrimination and trying to eliminate that in so many ways. But this definition to me doesn't really seem to address that very well. And so personally, I would like to see if any other Jewish organizations have stronger definitions that get more at the unconscious bias part of it. Um, um, I also think that to some extent we need to figure out the difference between anti-Semitism directed at Jews and anti-Semitism directed at Israel. Um, because what I see out there is there seems to be a lot of acceptance that it's fair game to criticize Israel and however you want to, but it can't be based on someone's race or religion, which however you view Judaism, right? And it's interesting that I've had conversations with um, a Jewish religious leaders in our own community who see Jews as more of a race than a religion, right? Um, so I, um, uh, I, I'd, li I'd like to see if we can find some other definitions that we might be able to draw from, but I fully support also asking Jewish members of the community to help us out with this. Sure. Thank you. Sure. That sounds very reasonable. Okay. Madam Mayor, uh, that wraps our, our presentation. Thank you, Council, so much for all the feedback. We've taken notes, and we'll, we'll be sure to be responsive and okay, one come more, back as needed. One more note. As long as you're doing this pile of work, um, one of the things that I'm looking at Council to ask, in addition to what you're going to bring back to us, um, we have an award called the City Council Outstanding Service Award. 
We used it as a prototype for the COVID awards that we did in mass uh, in 2020. Um, and when ever anything has happened where we think somebody has done something that deserves this award and the question gets asked, the pushback from us is that we don't have criteria. Um, I don't think it has to be a very complex process, but in doing the work that you're doing, I'm wondering if you can help us with a suggested criteria for um, the ability for us to award the City Council Outstanding Service Award to members of our community. Thoughts? Jim, can you do it? We can do it. Thank you. With that, I think that takes us to the end of this session. We will now uh, recess and we will mm -hmm. return at 7.30 for a regular meeting. Thank you. Recording in progress. We are back in session following a study session on a city council discussion of, on the proclamation process, flag policy, and cultural event calendar. Before turning to tonight's commendation, I would like to make two statements on behalf of the council. The first statement relates to the recent passing of Bill Woods, a longtime Kirkland leader and former Kirkland mayor. It's hard to put into words just how much Bill has shaped Kirkland into the amazing community that it is today. Our beloved waterfront parks, our renowned Kirkland Performance Center, our thriving downtown business core, our highly productive government, these mainstays of Kirkland didn't just happen. They happened because of Bill's unparalleled leadership, vision, and deep commitment to public service. A veteran of World War II, Bill moved to Kirkland in 1953. He worked professionally as a pharmacist for decades, where he was a well-known anchor of our business community. He was extremely active in the Kirkland Chamber of Commerce and served on the board and as a chair for many years. He was one of the founding members of the Kirkland Downtown Association. Like so many of our past and current council members, Bill started in city leadership by serving on one of the city's boards or commissions. He joined the Park Board in 1964, became a council member the following year, then ran for mayor in 1966. He served as mayor for the next eight years. During that time, Bill oversaw the annexation of Houghton and helped the city transition to the council manager form of government. He led the effort to acquire large amounts of waterfront for the, for the city for parks, leveraging funds by Lady Bird Johnson's initiative to preserve natural lands for the public. After retiring from public service, Bill spent years fundraising to make the Kirkland per Performance Center a reality. The list of his community leadership roles goes on and on. Kirkland as a community and as a government are better because of Bill's unmatched service. Bill passed away on December 7th at the age of 97. A true civic luminary, Bill Woods' leg legacy will forever be embedded in the fabric of our community. On behalf of the full council, you will be missed, Bill. Thank you for dedicating so much of your life to making Kirkland a better place. <clears throat> the second statement I would like to make on behalf of the council relates to the upcoming winter holidays in Kirkland. 
as we strive to be a safe and welcoming community where everyone belongs now more than ever, it is important to remember that across many cultures and religions, this time of year is one of togetherness and counting our blessings. This is a time of family and friends, of food and fellowship. This is a time of gifts and generosity, of light and laughter. This is a time for reflection and for rest. We also know that for some, this can be a challenging time, a time of memories of departed loved ones or other feelings of loss. More than anything, this is a time for hope. Hope that, together, regardless of our differences, we can celebrate our common humanity and hope for a world united in peace and love. We are strengthened by the rich diversity of beliefs and traditions expressed by our Kirkland community members. However you choose to celebrate this wintry holiday season, may your days be warmed by the communities and practices that bring you meaning and connection. Thank you. Okay, this takes us to a commendation recognizing Kirkland Red Cross Lifesaver Award recipient, Dominic Lucarelli. Dominic, I believe you are here. We would like to meet you at the bottom of the two stairs. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So, um, as you mentioned, on behalf of the council, the mayor is going to be presenting a commendation to Dominic Lucarelli. A remarkable young man who saved the life of a four-year-old girl from drowning. And uh, more of that story is included in the commendation, but we're just so grateful for having him here today, and we want to honor his courage and acting and uh, the result of saving a young girl's life. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. As a proud mom of two former Kirkland lifeguards, I'm very pleased to read this tonight. And I assume you have family here? Mom and Dad, you want to wave to everyone? I know, I know you're very proud of... Come on up. We're going to get a picture. We're going to get a picture with everybody. So, all right. Recognizing Kirkland Red, uh, Red Cross Lifesaver Award recipient, Dominic Lucarelli. Whereas Kirkland resident and Lake Washington High School student Dominic Lucarelli, a lifeguard and swim instructor, was on duty at Stratton Wood Swim Club in Redmond on August 23, 2022. And whereas during swim lessons, a four-year-old girl fell into the pool, swallowed a lungful of water, and was floating silently and passively underwater. And whereas Lucarelli took quick action to heroically retrieve the girl from the pool and remove water from her lungs, as trained by the American Red Cross. And whereas the young girl was transported to Seattle Children's Hospital, where she was kept overnight and then released, and is alive and well today. And whereas the American Red Cross presented Lucarelli the American Red Cross Lifesaver Award in recognition of the use of skills learned in Red Cross course to save a life. Now, therefore, I, Mayor Penny Sweet, on behalf of the Kirkland City Council, do hereby commend Dominic Lucarelli for his bravery and decisive action in a stressful, life-threatening situation and for inspiring others to learn important life-saving skills. Um, I just want to thank you guys for having me here. Uh, it's an honor, um, and uh, I'm just I just appreciate that she's alive and okay today. So yeah.
Here, mm -hmm. let's move over to the center and okay. get a picture, and I can give you the. Okay, that takes us to item number five on our agenda, communications. This is the time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters which are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing. We do have two public hearings this evening. They are item 6A, extension of moratorium on personal delivery devices, and item 6B, transportation benefit district established fee. Because tonight is the Council's last business meeting of the year, and because we have a very busy agenda tonight, we are asking that public testimony at our public hearings tonight, like items from the audience, will be limited to three minutes each. For items from the audience, in addition to the three-minute time limit, we will receive up to three comments each on both sides of each issue. If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the council during this items from the audience period, please sign up using the online public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please dial star nine to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting, but we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect we ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or that you express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content. Because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are also not allowed in council chambers during our meetings regardless of their content. City Clerk. Our first speaker is on site. It's Allison Kolak. Allison. Welcome. Hello. My name is Allison Kolak, and I was a user of the Snyder's Corner Dog Pop-Up Park, and I'm honored to be a part of the growing community of people that have come together through, through our use of Snyder's Corner Dog Park. We are very saddened that our park was considered temporary and that it's been closed down this past fall, and we've been very disappointed with the amount of community support and outreach that has happened, that the council has not made more progress on seeking solutions to reopening the park immediately. Specifically, in response to Mary Garducki's reply on October 7th to a comment posted through Kirkland's website, I'm asking that the council members direct city staff to look into the issue of mud at Snyder's Corner Pop-Up Dog Park further. I don't believe that this matter has been fully explored, and I do believe that a solution can be found that will reopen the park as early as January 
and keep it open year round as a temporary dog park until the permanent park can be built. I'm a Kirkland resident of 22 years and the Snyder's Corner Dog Park is absolutely critical to the Bridal Trails community. North Kirkland is rich in dog parks. There's a choice of three in North Kirkland, yet we have none in South Kirkland. We visited other dog parks in the area and know that there will be mud. So this seems to be a diversion and not a valid reason for closing Snyder's Corners Park on November 1st. I became a first time dog owner of a rambunctious mini Bernadoodle Hampton last December. I live in a condo and was in search of a nearby location where he could run without a leash and continue to socialize with other dogs in a safe environment. I stumbled upon Snyder Corners Dog Park over Mother's Day weekend while enjoying coffee at Starbucks across the street. I could barely contain my excitement. Larger dog parks like Marymore have always and still intimidate me, but Snyder's Corner is just the right size and it's very conveniently located in my family's neighborhood. There's an immediate sense of community for the dogs and their owners at this park and instantly became a safe place for families and pets to gather daily. I was moved by the pride of ownership taken in the park and how effectively the community collaborated to bring more and more amenities to the dog park for the dogs and their owners. Watching the dog park and community develop over the summer was very inspiring to me and made me proud to be a resident of Kirkland. It also introduced me to my neighbors and opened new social circles and sharing of information on all things dog. As a first time dog owner, this was invaluable. Since the Snyder's Corner pop-up dog park has been taken down, it's been really difficult to find a safe place with the same sense of community and comfort for myself and my dog. I repeat that tonight, I'm asking the council members to direct city staff to look into the issue of mud further. I believe that this matter has not been fully explored and that a solution can be found that will reopen the park as early as January and keep it open year round as a temporary dog park until a permanent park can be built. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kimberly Dare, also on site. Thank you. Welcome, Kimberly. <laughs> My name is Kimberly Dare. Um, thank you for hearing me. In response to Lynn Zwagstra's reply on November 9th to a comment posted through the Kirkland's website, I am asking the council members to direct city staff to look into the issue of parking at Snyder's Corner Pop-Up Dock Park further. I believe that this matter has not been fully explored and that a solution can be found that will reopen the park as early as January and keep it open year round as a temporary dog park until a permanent park can be built. For the last several months, communication from the city parks department has indicated concern about parking, restrooms, and mud. Members of our community have taken it upon themselves to visit the three North Kirkland dog parks to identify the strategies that are being used to mitigate these concerns for those parks. One of which has the designation of also being a temporary dog park. What we've discovered is a little confusing. Of course, we live in Washington State, so we've come to expect mud at all locations. Juanita doesn't actually have forest coverage like Jasper's, so it frequently has a large puddle in the middle of the park. While Edith Moulton does have restrooms, these are seasonal and only open approximately six months from March until October. 
and none of these parks have designated parking. Another discussion that has been raised is that in order for the dog park at Snyder's Corner to become permanent, there will need to be planning and permits. We aren't talking about the permanent plans at this time, and the city has been very positive about the permanent future plans. We aren't talking, uh, we are asking to have the temporary pop-up dog park reopened and kept open year round until the permanent plans can be built and implemented. This is what we understand has happened with Juanita's temporary dog park. So I repeat that tonight I'm asking you council members to direct city staff to look into the issue of parking further. I believe that this matter has not been fully explored and that a solution can be found that will reopen the Snyder's Corner Dog Park as early as January and keep it open as a temporary dog park until a permanent park can be built. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. Our next speaker is uh, Ramit Malhotra, also on site. Welcome. Good evening, <clears throat> respected council members, uh, audience, uh, residents of Kirkland. First of all, let me start by saying that I, how much I truly appreciate this opportunity. Um, as, a, an, as an immigrant to this country, it's truly spectacular for me to see democracy up close and personal like this. So I really appreciate this chance. Uh, tonight, I'm asking the council members to direct the city staff to look further into and fully explore the issues of mud and parking at Snyder's Corner Pop-Up Dog Park. I believe that these matters have not been fully explored by staff and that solutions can be found to keep the pop-up park open year-round until a permanent park can be built. Um, I'm a, I have been a Kirkland resident for now for three years now. I, I moved into Bridal Trails in South Kirkland in 2019. Um, uh, my parents were visiting at that time, and, and I was going through a lot of anxiety and depression. Um, uh, I bought the house, and my parents left, and then uh, the pandemic struck, and life became very, very hard very soon. Uh, I, I was seeing two therapists, and one of the therapists recommended that I get a service animal. So uh, that introduced Sherlock in my life, who is my two-year-old golden doodle. Um, I live in the part in, on 116th Avenue, right next to the transfer station, in front of Bridal Trail State Park. And there is no sidewalk, there is no street lighting. For me, walking my dog is, is, a, is a risky proposition every evening. The traffic is really bad, and if there's rain or snow, it's, it's really difficult to get out of my house. Uh, when I discovered Snyder's Corner, it not only gave me an easy option of going and exercising my dog every evening, but it also gave me this community of people that I am so truly blessed to have today, uh, as it definitely helps me combat uh, all the issues that I've had in the, in, in, during the years of the pandemic. Um, I also want to talk about the equity of dog parks. There are three in North Kirkland and only zero in, in South Kirkland, which seems a bit unfair. Uh, I don't want to drive all the way in traffic around 5 p.m. to Juanita from South Kirkland. It'll take me an hour to get back. Uh, so I, I re would really appreciate it if we get a chance to explore this opportunity of giving us a permanent park, even if the temporary park is, is made to last while we work on permanent plans, that would be a really good uh, outcome of, 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 our, of our coming here and, and having this conversation with all of you. So again, I repeat tonight that I'm asking the council members to direct the city staff to look further into and fully, fully explore the issues of mud and parking at Snyder's Corner pop-up dog park I believe that these matters have not been fully explored by staff and that solutions can definitely be found that will keep the park open at Snyder's Corner as early as January and keep it open as a temporary dog park year-round until a permanent park can be built. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amit. 
The next speaker is Alex Zimmerman, who is on site. Welcome, Mr. Zimmerman. Thank you. Hi, my name is Alex Zimmerman. So my question to you guys is very simple. Uh, we will do everything by law, constitution, freedom of speech, and doesn't decide de decision what this court have about freedom of speech. Or I will bring this circus like a clown every meeting. It's up to you. Yeah. So I think you enough smart. So understand this America if we supposed to be doing everything by law. In common sense. So Zikhail, my damn dirty Nazi Gestapo democracy fascist, a mafia cartel and psychopath. Situation right now very simple, and I once spoke about this, and I will speak again and again. Situation so unique, so Seattle, Ekin County right now is the epicenter of fascism. 85% people in Seattle uh, vote for Democrat, and 75% people vote, uh, vote for King Country Democrat. There's no analogy, no one county in America have same statistic. And this uh, go bigger and bigger and more dangerous and dangerous. Uh, uh, Democrat control everything right now, and, they, uh, and I speak about this thousand times. Yeah, they more dangerous than Nazi or communist. Because, for example, Hitler and Nazi make good for Germany and for country. Stalin and communists try doing better for people and for country. But this idiot make right now miserable for every percentage people in Seattle in King Country. So these people who in this every percentage is absolutely poor right now. And come everything to come to absurd because they spend a billion and billion dollars, their life never go better. So I want right now to explain to everybody who listen to me, guys, stop and vote for this because it's a dictator. You know what this means? Dictator with idiotic face, and I talk about this, it's fascism with idiotic face. Fascism supposed to be good for people, but fascism, what is we have in Seattle and King County, this epicenter of fascism is bad for people. Every percentage people have a problem right now. Yesterday I come to, to store to KFC, buy a soup, you know what this means. So this soup six months ago cost dollar, right now cost five bucks. It's idiotic situation, you know what this means? Nobody control corporation. So we're right now under control of Amazon, Microsoft, Google, everybody control us. Where is democracy, what is we have in America? Where is freedom of speech? Why this happened? Why they suck blood and money from us? And everybody, everybody quiet in Seattle and King Country because 85 percent want to be a Democrat. So stand up, America. This is exactly what I want to everybody. We need to come back to America. Thank you very much. Uh, Heather Ewald, on site. Welcome, Heather. Yes, thank you for giving me a chance to speak. My name is Heather Ewald, and I appreciate the work you folks do. In July, my husband Roger and I came to City Hall with a request that Kirkland fly the Christian flag for the month of November. After much delay and postponement in November, the council denied our request. The denial was based on the Establishment Clause and the fact that Kirkland only has two flagpoles that they use for government speech. In other words, flags flown on the City of Kirkland flagpoles constitutes government speech. However, the, flag, uh, the rainbow flag has flown over Kirkland every June for many years. 
What statement is the government making with that, and how is that a government flag? While there are residents living in Kirkland who rally around the rainbow flag, there are also residents living here who rally around the Christian flag. As far as the Establishment Clause, the Supreme Court in May 22, the Shirtleff v. Boston ruling, made it very clear that you cannot deny a flag flying just because it's the Christian flag. The divided Supreme Court voted unanimously, 9-0, to zero, that the Christian flag must be given equal time. Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh emphasized that the government does not violate the Constitution when it puts religious people and speech on an equal footing with their secular counterparts. To the contrary, Kavanaugh stressed, a government may not treat religious persons, religious organizations, or religious speech as second class. Kirkland's website boasts equity and inclusion, and that's all we want, to be treated equally with other residents of Kirkland. That's what America is all about, freedom for all. We're respectfully requesting the City of Kirkland Council reconsider their decision and agree to fly the Christian flag, we say for the month of, no of January, but um, that's the next month coming up, but we would take February. Martin Luther King would certainly be supportive. He was a minister of the gospel. So I just want to thank you for hearing the request and for treating religious and secular Kirkland residents on an equal footing. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have Lisa McConnell, who's on site, and that will be followed by Deep Paknikar, who is virtual. Thank you. Welcome, Lisa. Good evening, Council. Um, the 85th Station Area Plan envisions this area as a thriving, transit-oriented, newly walkable district with pedestrian priority. It is with this in mind that I am bringing concerns, comments, and recommendations to the Council. My focus is only on the transportation elements of the SAP. My letter addressed to you um, addressed three areas, the whole 85th SAP, the 120th Avenue, and the Urban Flex Zone. Right now, I only address two principles, safety and transit. Vision Zero and safety features are necessary for pedestrian priority areas. Safely moving people is not an amenity, but the very first principle in the transportation master plan. Designing streets for people means that you put in place infrastructure that ensures safer environment regardless of and despite the choices of the driver. I agree with Councilmember Pascal's comments at the November 15th briefing that bike and pedestrian spaces should be more clearly delineated and separated. A shared use path becomes unsafe and untenable in a dense urban area such as the station area is likely to be. Designed for success and safety now rather than trying to shoehorn in needed mobility facilities in the future. I would also like to reemphasize Transportation Commissioner McGee's recommendation to reduce speeds in the station area. We have to stop thinking of 85th as an old state highway and start thinking of it as a densely populated major urban area with a street running through it. Lowering vehicle speeds helps everyone using this space, reducing injury and death, including for those peop for people in vehicles. Transit. I see very little in the plans that include the infrastructure needed for successful transit-based urban area. Of course, if I had my greatest wish for this area, I would have placed a dedicated bus lane down the center of 85th as in the picture on the screen. Besides transit flow and reliability, the center lane dedicated busway has the additional benefit of providing a safe pedestrian refuge for crossing wide multi-lane arterials like 85th. In this example, you can see the left turn lanes can be maintained. 
This has the advantage of using the right boarding rolling stock buses currently in use. If left boarding or light rail is used, um, the space requirement for the dedicated lane decreases as boarding platforms can be shared as here. I believe this arrangement is where we will inevitably end up in the future and would like to see this happen now and be integrated into the design and build of the 85th BRT station. Short of that, I have included in my communication with the council many ideas for how 85th should accommodate safely and efficiently transit, pedestrian, and cycling modes of travel. I appreciate your time and consideration. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now we have Deep Paknikar, who is virtual. Hello, everyone. Hello, welcome. Uh, am I audible? Yes, you are. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this forum. I don't quite see my time, so I'm just going by my clock here. The reason I want to come to this forum is to talk about a new property that me and my partners acquired in the Rose Hill area. My property is close to the intersection of 85th Street and 122nd Avenue Northeast. There we have acquired a property where we are going to build four single family homes, which me and my partners are going to stay. My partner is already living in the Rose Hill area. He has lived here for many, many years, and he and his family are very familiar with the area. They use regularly the parks and the various amenities that it provides. His son also goes to Mark Twain Elementary and is really liking the community that surrounds him in the Kirkland area. We want to build a bigger space for ourselves, hence we are going to build it and live in it in the Rose Hill area, closer to the intersection I mentioned. Now, in this particular lot that we have, the height restrictions we have is 25 feet, and just to the north of it, about, I would say, maybe 100 feet, is the height restriction is 150 feet. So I had real concerns in terms of the future when we build these homes, which are single family homes with a lower height restriction and the surrounding, especially to the north, and also I believe this is to the east, is 150 feet and 120 feet. It is like living next to a mountain. And we know what that means is that there is a lot of shadow area that comes through and we are concerned that there would be restriction in terms of sunlight in area like Seattle where already there are quite a few days with gray skies. So that's kind of the top concern I want to raise and I want to make sure that the council considers the fact that the height difference of 150 versus 25 would not be the best for such areas where putting residential next to commercial with such a big height difference. Thank you, and I hope the council considers this fact. Thank you very much. Thank you. We also have Carol Ann Castell, who is on site. Welcome. Good evening, council members. Thank you for your service. Carol Ann Castell, I live 
approximate to La Quinta. I'm about a half a mile. I've been there since 1972 and I live alone. And I have a concern about the, the new homeless uh, hotel that will be at La Quinta. Um, I believe that um, most of the homeless that will be provided for have drug and alcohol problems. And I think it's going to be a low barrier facility where there's not checking for alcohol and drugs. And first of all, I don't think it's a good location for even purchasing food. Uh, the, the South um, Bellevue QFC is about one mile south of there. And I also think that it's going to house only about 15% from our area in Kirkland, and the other 85% are coming from Seattle. Um, in addition, there's five schools that are proximate, and I think that legislation in, in the past and other areas have kept them about 1,000 feet. There's Yarrow Bay Kindercare, uh, Brighton, Cedarcrest, and Eastside Prep. I don't think it's a good location with drugs and alcohol for those children. So I'm concerned about the drug and crime increase uh, up my driveway. I've already had drug users using my driveway to cut across to purchase, to purchase drugs. I don't feel very safe. And, um, and I know that existing hotels that have been uh, put together to, for the homeless have increased crime in their surroundings. Um, I would like the city of Kirkland to do what it can uh, to be uh, to regulate the occupancy, the the conduct of the occupants, security, their length of stay, and to make a uh, make a priority to house those people that really could use the housing, not those that are going to be just on drug and alcohol, which which we really cannot help. There are other people that need housing, and um, that are temporarily out of work. I believe those are people we can help and not just those that are on drug and alcohol uh, problems. Okay, thank you for your time. Could I reference you to our website? You will see that there are answers to almost all of the issues that you have referenced. Can you, can you state what the, uh, what the restrict, well, how they're going to what, supervise what, that? Why don't you go talk to uh, Mr. Wolvert in the back of the room? Thank you. That's the end of the sign-up sheet for the open public comment portion. That's the last individual who has signed up to speak today. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council at this time? Seeing none, I will close the public comment period. This takes us to, Mayor. oh, sorry, Councilmember Pascal. Thank, thank you, Mayor. I just uh, wanted to mention to some of those that are in attendance today that uh, talked about the Snyder's Park uh, Dog Park. Um, that was an issue that I was intending to raise, but we raise uh, new issues. As council members, we raise those issues at the end of the council meeting. So just wanted to let you know that that's, um, that's the time that, that I'll raise that and, and we can have a discussion. Um, so you don't need to stay around for it. We, we tape our meetings and you can watch it at 11 p.m. or midnight whenever we get there. So thank you. Thank you. Council member. Okay, this takes us to item number six, public hearings. This is a public hearing on the extension of moratorium on <coughs> personal delivery devices. It's ordinance 4833, relating to personal delivery devices and extending the moratorium enacted by 
Ordinance 4779 and extended for six months by Ordinance 4806 on the acceptance of application for review and or issuance of building permits for personal delivery device dispensers and on the acceptance of applications for the review and or issuance of right-of-way use permits for personal delivery devices. This is a public hearing to receive public comment on the extension of this moratorium on personal delivery devices permitting applications. I will now open the public hearing. And we will go through a process where the city manager, we will get a, a, a report uh, and council will ask questions of the presenter and you will have an opportunity as the public to comment. City manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. So uh, before we get to the commentary, we have a brief presentation explaining why we're asking for the extension. That presentation is going to be made by our Public Works Deputy Director, John Starbird, who is joining us on the screen. Welcome, Mr. Starbird. Thank you. Mayor Sweet, Deputy Mayor Arnold, City Councilors, and Mr. Triplett, I have uh, only one PowerPoint slide to present to you. Um, and... Um, So, um, in late 2021 and early John, 20... it is not showing. Yes. Um, yeah, we got backups at the podium. <laughs> okay, how about now? It's, there it is. There All right, good. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, in late 2021 and early 20. 22, a private company was uh, testing personal de uh, delivery devices that were auto you know, automated personal delivery devices on the city's rights of way and uh, a bit on private property. And at that time, and now, the city does not have regulations for uh, how to control uh, or regulate personal delivery devices on rights of way or private property. On January 18th, the council established an emergency moratorium on the acceptance, processing, and issuance of permits for personal delivery devices. Uh, after the enactment of the moratorium, um, the, the uh, staff worked on research, did some field visits, um, contacted other cities and held uh, public outreach efforts that included conversations with uh, commissions, the Houghton Community Council, and the City Council itself. On July 5th, uh, the Council extended the moratorium for an additional six months as staff continued to work on research and follow up on council direction offered on July 5th. Tonight, we are asking for another six month moratorium, um, although staff anticipates that it could be lifted sooner than six months. The reason is that staff had scheduled time to discuss draft regulations for the operation of personal delivery devices on the rights of way at the council's November 25th meeting. Uh, that meeting ran a little bit long and the item uh, came up at 11 o'clock in the evening 
and it was decided that was too late to begin a discussion about a serious ma matter, so the item was deferred. The moratorium that's in effect now expires on January 4th of 2023. Uh, this extension will allow the council to have a, uh, a discussion on, at its meeting on January 3rd, the day before the expiration of the moratorium. And in the event the council needs some additional information or wants to discuss it further, and also because however the council's discussion goes, staff uh, very likely will need to amend some aspect of either the municipal code or the zoning code or both. Uh, staff is recommending an extension of the moratorium for up to six months with the expectation that the work will be done sooner than that and the moratorium can be lifted sooner than that. Uh, Your Honor, I would be happy to respond to any questions. Thank you. Are there any questions from the council? Being none, I will now call upon any members of the public who have signed up to address the council, either locally or Online. Our first speaker is Alex Zimmerman, who's on site. No, but they want to speak about something new. This is with regard to um, autonomous delivery devices. There's a second public hearing that follows this on transportation. Okay. Seeing no one, I will. public comment portion of this meeting is now closed. Council will consider all public comments received on this issue, including in any submitted in writing. I would now entertain a motion to approve Ordinance 4833, an act relating to personal delivery devices and extending the moratorium enacted by Ordinance 4779 and extended for six months by Ordinance 4806 on the acceptance of applications for the review and or issuance of building permits for personal delivery devices and on the acceptance of applications for the review and or issuance of right-of-way use permits for personal delivery devices. So moved. Second. Been moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Black. Um, any discussion? Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Make this brief. I didn't support the original moratorium. I don't see this as an emergency. I don't not aware of any immediate permits. I really think we need to avoid moratoriums. I won't be supporting it. Thank, Thank you. you. Any further discussion? Question is on the motion to approve ordinance 4833. All those votes well, no or ordinance. Inga, please call the roll. Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? No. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. And Mayor Sweet? Yes. Uh, motion or the ordinance is approved six to one. Okay. This takes us to our second. Um, public hearing on the transportation benefit district establishing the fee. It's relating to the imposition effective January 
1st, 2024, of a $20 annual vehicle fee on vehicles registered in Kirkland provided for by RCW 36.73.065 related to transportation benefit district. This is a public hearing to receive public comments on the imposition of a 2024 um, annual or $20 annual vehicle fee on vehicles registered in Kirkland pursuant to state law related to transportation benefit districts. I will now open the public hearing. Please limit comments to three minutes. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. Before the comments, we have a short presentation by our financial planning manager, George Dugdale. As the council knows, there's been extensive presentations on this throughout the year, and the revenues from the $20 card tab that's proposed are included in the budget that you'll be adopting later this evening. So here to give that presentation is Mr. Dugdale. George, I don't hear you. Apologies, I was still on mute. I spend all the time sharing my screen and, okay. Okay, now we should be good to go. Is my screen showing? Yes, it is. Okay, apologies. Good evening, Council, members of the public. As City Manager has said, I'm here to start the public hearing with a brief three-slide presentation on the vehicle license fee associated with Kirkland's Transportation Benefit District. The KMC requires a public hearing for any fee associated with the TBD that does not require a voter approval. And as a reminder, the vehicle license fee that we are proposing will generate revenue to support an accelerated construction timeline for pedestrian and bike safety projects identified in previous CIP planning processes. Just a brief history. So um, in 2014, Ordinance 4435 created the Transportation Benefit District. No further action was taken by this or previous councils until February 15th of this year. In the interim, the Washington state law was amended so that city councils or other legislative bodies um, could assume the rights and powers of a transportation benefit district, and therefore the TBD would not need to exist as a separate entity. Beginning in November 2021, council and the community have received briefings and updates on both the technical aspects of, a, of approving and um, assuming the powers of the TBD, but also the proposed projects and plans that could be completed. These include public hearings on the TBD, uh, council study session presentations, as well as the regular budget process. So implementation of the plan would allow for the acceleration of $26 million of projects. The majority of these will be funded through bonds backed by the, 20, uh, the $20 vehicle license fee. However, there would also be uh, current resources invested both through school zone safety cameras, REIT, and the 2012 street levy. The city has completed all steps required by state law, and this notice public hearing also fulfills the requirements of KMC 19-22050. After the hearing is complete, the council can take action on the ordinance in front of us, 04834. And with that, my presentation is over and over to public, any public comment. Thank you. Any discussion from council or questions? Okay, I will now call upon any members of the public who signed up to address the council. Mr. Zimmerman? Mr. Zimmerman? Yes. 
Zihail. Where is timer? No timer. Oh, thank you very much. Zihail, my dirty damn Nazi um, Gestapo bandita and fascist and mafia cartel. My name is Alex Zimmerman. I live 25 years here. I drive before in many cities in Europe. Yeah, big city. Yeah. So situation what is with transportation for the last 10 years made me absolutely sick. I think government controlling by Democrat, most of them Democrat, you know what this means, acting like a ricketeer, like bandita in pure criminal. I give you a couple examples, because there's many examples. But one example is very unique. For six years, I have a Mercedes, 22-year-old, cost 200 bucks. So for the last six years, I pay $150 license fee, 150 bucks. Government for six years qualify me like a $10,000, my Mercedes. So for six years, I complain to everybody, never working. So I want to go to court, make a complaint to court, judge refuse, accept this complaint. Situation so idiotic, you know what this means, is this only small problem. I don't talking about billion, hundred billion dollars, what is, for example, four billion dollars for 520 bridge, six billion dollars, for, for Seattle Tunnel and hundred billion dollars on transit three, but definition of what do they do it with transportation, you know what this means? Because I know this problem very well, I have approximately hundred herring, almost dozen is red light camera, it's a circus. Only pure bandita, a ricketeer, a criminal can do in this. And nobody touch them. It's a nightmare. What is I cannot understand? What is going on? 20 bucks is okay, no big deal, you know what this means. But we're talking about billion and billion dollars. What is this freaking bandita spent for nothing? For nothing. You understand about I'm talking? It don't have sense. When thousands, a million people totally poor have a problem with housing, homeless. Money. I'm senior citizen. My income so low, so I everything what is I can buy for my government subsidy. You know what is mean? It's insurance for my car. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, when we not stopping this government, you know what is mean? Who by definition a bandita, a criminal? You know what is mean? Nothing will be changed. So I speak right now to everybody who listen to me, stand up America, this, we need stopping this democratic mafia, this bandita, this criminal, because when we not stopping them, they go more and more for money. Where is this money come? For nothing. Stand up America, clean this chamber Thank from Democrat. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else signed up? No one else signed up at this time. Is there anyone else who would like to address the council? Seeing none, I will declare this public comment portion of the hearing closed. Council will consider all public comments received on this issue, including those submitted in writing. I would now entertain a motion to approve Ordinance 4834 relating to the imposition effective January 1st, 2024 of a $20 annual vehicle fee on vehicles registered in Kirkland provided for by RCW 36.73.065 related to transportation benefit Districts. So moved. so moved. Second. I think I, I'm going to give that to Deputy Mayor Arnold. <laughs> so moved by Deputy Mayor Arnold, seconded by Council Member Pascal. Um, 
Any discussion? Uh, Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I want to introduce an amendment. Um, this would add new section two beginning at line 77 on e-page 76 to read as follows. Section two, each year as part of the year-end budget adjustments and CIP updates, the city manager shall include a summary of how the transportation benefit district vehicle fee revenues are being invested and a progress report on implementation of the prioritized safer routes to school and active transportation plan capital project. Second. Uh, it's been moved by Councilmember Pascal, second by Councilmember um, Nixon for a revision to second or section two. Discussion. Councilmember Pascal. I'll just talk briefly about um, what I'm proposing. As to other similar new revenue sources, just proposing that we receive an annual accounting of how the revenue is being spent. Um, the goal is to really demonstrate to the public where the, the vehicle fee money's going um, and to provide additional accountability and transparency in the use of that money. Uh, while the city has a pretty standard practice in how we account for money these days, this is just to be uh, very, uh, as formal as possible that this needs to continue into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I will be voting in support of this ordinance. It does help us accelerate, accelerate over $20 million of safety projects. Um, for some residents, this $20 car tab may be a hardship. I just want to point out to the public that in our proposed budget, which we'll take action on later this evening, it includes $680,000 in new funding to create Kirkland's first low-income rate discount to provide support for residents where this $20 car tab is a hardship. We will also use that fund um, to support residents who need support for their utility fees. Thank you for that. Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Spe speaking specifically to the amendment that's been offered, um, I, uh, I support it. I think that the reports that we have done uh, like for the park levy or the road levy, et cetera, have been very helpful in the public understanding what they're getting for their money. And I think that this is a, a great contribution from my colleague. Uh, it's not as complicated a report as, as those earlier ones. And I think we've, we've learned that it takes a huge amount of staff effort to produce the level of detail of report that we previously required. And I, I like the fact that this proposal is a little bit lighter weight, but still allows us to be accountable to the public. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Black. Uh, yes, thank you, Madam Mayor. And uh, I'll speak to the, uh, the, main, the main motion um, after this, but I did want to just speak in support of this. And I just wanted to echo um, what Councilmember Nixon said, what I would like, the city already does a tremendous job of reporting out to us and to the public about use of public revenues. Um, on the one hand, we do not need um, another um, detailed report, but this, I really like the way this is written uh, to allow just um, uh, a summary of how the transportation benefit district vehicle be, revenues are being invested. Uh, it feels like a small addition to the reporting the city already does. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, the question is on the motion to amend um, 
Ordinance 4834, uh, Section 2, moved by Council Member Pascal, seconded by Council Member Nixon. I don't, that is just a voice vote, right? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Question is, oh, any further discussion on the original motion? Council Member Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Yeah, um, I did want to make a few comments about the original uh, motion. It's not going to come as a surprise to any of my colleagues um, that I, I'm not a big fan of these uh, type of uh, taxes. Um, it's a flat tax um, on you know every individual who owns a vehicle, and we know that we have a lot of uh, of residents uh, where their vehicle is um, critical uh, to their livelihood. Um, and also is a, a big expense. Um, we are consumers of the tax structure that the state of Washington um, gives to us. In other words, we don't have, as a city government, the authority to levy taxes in whatever form we wish. We are able to levy taxes in the form and using the tools that are um, provided to us by the state of Washington. Um, so this is, uh, you know, my complaint about uh, the um, the suite of uh, revenue generating tools that we have available are they are regressive, they're not fair uh, or equitable rather. Um, they're also not stable and they're not predictable. Um, and um, I've spoken on this many times, um, so I'll just uh, say one more time that I'd really like to see. Uh, cities, municipalities, counties uh, joining together in coalition to encourage the state to um, uh, adopt a tax uh, structure that is more fair, more predictable, more sustainable. Um, so, this I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a fan of these type of taxes, but this is a tool that has been uh, provided to us by the state of Washington, the legislature, um, and I am a huge supporter of the uh, projects that this. Um, that this uh, money would um, help accelerate. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think we're talking about a, uh, a suite of important uh, projects for safer routes to school and for uh, active transportation that would take 35, 40, maybe more. I'm looking at the city manager, he's nodding. 35, 40 years for the city to complete uh, with the existing revenue that we have available to this, and this allows us to accelerate these important projects uh, within six years. These are projects that, this, that our residents have repeatedly told us on many occasions that they want us to make a priority. Um, so I see this as, uh, as um, uh, good use of, uh, of the tool that has been made available to us uh, to accelerate these projects, and so I will be supporting this uh, ordinance. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I also support uh, funding these important projects sooner than would otherwise be possible. Um, like Councilmember Black, um, I recognize that as a flat fee per vehicle, regardless of value, it is a regressive tax that falls most heavily on those who can least afford it. Um, and I strongly believe that we should not establish a new kind of tax especially one with these negative characteristics, without providing an opportunity for the people of the city to decide for themselves if they want to tax themselves in that new way. Um, we've conducted many successful public votes uh, to enact new taxes, 
such as the fire levy, the police sales tax, the park levy, and the roads levy. Yes, we did have one that failed, the creation of a municipal park district to fund the aquatic uh, recreation and community center. Um, but that was probably because it was an open-ended tax. Uh, the state law didn't allow any limits on how the money would be used. And many of the people who voted against it uh, said they would have supported the project with a more traditional uh, bond or levy model. Um, so I believe the public should have a direct voice in establishing this new revenue source and that we should therefore put this license tab fee up to a public vote. Um, I'm concerned that if we don't do this, uh, then the resulting bad feelings among voters could negatively impact upcoming very important votes like the parks ballot measure that we're contemplating putting on the ballot in 2023. I did check with staff and there's no simple way to amend the proposed ordinance before us tonight uh, to make it require a public vote instead of being councilmanic. Um, so in order to consider a version of the ordinance that required a public vote, we would need to give the city attorney time to do that work, to prepare such an ordinance. Um, there are multiple opportunities to put this public vote on the ballot in 2023, um, such that it could be approved uh, in time to go into effect in January 2024 and thus have no impact on the budget. Um, so we wouldn't need to do any budget amendments uh, unless, of course, the people voted it down. Um, so therefore, uh, I move that we postpone further consideration of this ordinance uh, to our next council meeting so that the city attorney can prepare uh, an ordinance that would put the $20 license tab fee up to a public vote. And that is a motion to postpone. Do I hear a second? Motion fails for lack of a second. I tried. You did. Thank you. Um, so the question is on the motion to approve ordinance 4834. I think I got this right. Moved by Councilmember Arnold, seconded by Councilmember, I'm sorry, Councilmember Pascal. did you have more comment? I had a comment, yes, on the main motion. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I just, I wanted to say just real briefly that I think for any any elected official, it's never easy to vote for more more fees. Um, but we have, we have a great deal of transportation needs across the city. Certainly understand Councilmember Nixon's concern. Um, and, and that was one reason why we were really diligent about seeking input from the pub public over the last year and a half, at least, I believe. Um, really giving every opportunity to make sure we, we heard from everyone that wanted to provide input. So I feel good about that process. Um, I also wanna say additionally, we talked about some of the capital improvements. This goes and funds more of our street maintenance staff, which I hear all the time from folks about needing to maintain our medians, um, sides of our streets, our, um, our street trees. So this goes towards uh, maintaining our infrastructure better. So I'm, I'm really, really pleased about this and we'll be supporting it. Thank you. Thank you. Further comment? Question is on the motion to approve ordinance 4834, moved by, a little slow on the draw there, Councilmember Black. <laughs> 
Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, now that everyone else has had a chance to talk, um, I wanted to make one other observation, um, and it does address one of my concerns. My understanding, and I can't remember where this has been proposed, but maybe I can ask the city manager to describe. Uh, I am proud of the fact that the city of Kirkland is proposing um, a rebate of this fee for low-income residents. City manager, for those residents listening and watching, can we describe that proposal? Uh, yeah, so as Councilmember uh, Curtis mentioned, in the budget we have set aside about $600,000 for a low-income discount for not just the Transportation Benefit District, but also for utility fees and rates. Um, the intent, the reason we don't have the um, exact program yet, but we have the money for it, is we're trying to find a logical, simple um, threshold for qualification and income that would be used across all of these. So, for example, it might be if you qualified for the school lunch program, as an example. So we just need the first quarter of next year to figure out what that exact qualification is. But then what we would be doing as the city is if you have paid the car tab and you qualify for that threshold, you just simply come into the city and we reimburse that $20. So, Thank you. Thank you. Okay. The question is on the motion to approve Ordinance 4834, moved by Council Deputy Mayor Arnold, seconded by Councilmember Pascal. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? No. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. That motion or the ordinance passes a 6 1 vote. This takes us to item number six special presentations. The community sponsors anti idling public awareness campaign 2022 report. City Manager. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. We're going to be celebrating tonight the actions of some of our community members who are helping us with an anti-idling campaign. Um, our Public Works Director, Julie Underwood, is going to give a brief overview and introduce our special guests. Good evening, Council. Again, Julie Underwood, Public Works Director. I am really excited to have um, our very, let's say, very optimistic and enthusiastic city volunteers talk to you about the anti-idling public awareness campaign that they led um, in, in 22. But first, before I invite um, Susan Bossler up, she is leading the presentation, I just wanted to say um, a thank you to Sierra Olson. Sierra was one of our um, amazing um, interns that we hired as our, you might recall, our recovery intern. So she started here in the summer, graduated from college as a recovery intern, and we were really fortunate to be able to um, keep her on board, though temporarily, but to help us with programs like this. And she has been amazing. Um, we are going to miss her. She's already landed on her, on her feet, at, which I'm not surprised about, but um, I hope one day she comes back and serves the public like she has done such a great, great job here at Kirkland. So with that, let me invite Susan Vossler um, to come up and introduce the volunteers and lead this presentation. Thank you, Susan. Hi. All right. Good evening, Mayor Sweet, council members, and city manager. Um, we are here this evening to present our one-year report on the anti-idling public awareness campaign. I'd like to start by introducing our team of volunteers. As um, Julie said, uh, my name is Susan Vossler. I'm joined by Judy Beto, um, Jean Large, and Margaret Schlender. 
who I've really enjoyed working with. We are all longtime residents of Kirkland. And I'm going to say it as well, a big shout out to Public Works Pub, uh, Program Assistant Sierra Olson, who provided us tremendous guidance and support with this campaign. All right, I get it. All right, this group of volunteers cares deeply about the environmental health of our community, our planet. We approached David Barnes about how we could best support the city's sustainability master plan. One of the many actions of the SMP is reduction of unnecessary car engine idling. The idea of a public awareness campaign was born. Uh, we came to you with a request for funding. You generously provided us with $2,000, and the four of us were onboarded as city volunteers. All right, here is a quick look at our education materials, two flyers and a sticker. Um, we have presented you with a sample of each, and just as we've asked of others, we hope you'll take the no idling pledge and ask five others to do the same. Okay, our uh, team has done a lot of outreach over this past year. I can't resist a little pun. We have not been idle. <laughs> So, um, neighborhood associations. We reached out to every Kirkland neighborhood association. We made virtual or in-person presentations to seven of the associations, and most of them shared our information via their newsletters. Community organizations. We gave presentations to a variety of local community organizations, um, including Kirkland Rotary, Chamber of Commerce, Kirkland Interfaith Network, and the Kirkland Association of Neighborhoods. Faith organizations, Jean and Margaret um, reached out to all of the local faith organizations, um, many of which um, uh, shared our information via their uh, newsletters. Schools, we reached out twice to all the public and private schools in Kirkland early in the school year and again uh, for Earth Day. Some shared the information via school newsletters, some took on their own anti-idling campaign, as you can see from the signs, and a couple invited us to speak to their green teams. Businesses, we focused, we focused our outreach on drive-through businesses such as coffee stands and takeout foods such as Dayru. We left flyers at 911 Driving School. And speaking of which, we did contact the Department of Licensing uh, more than once, and they are considering adding idling education to their next curriculum update. So fingers crossed on that. All right, um, further outreach included attending events such as Wheels and Reels and the Kirkland Car Show. We tabled at Friday Market, Denny Fest, and the Kirkland Library. Margaret created a very fun display, and that has made its rounds to the Kirkland Library, Kingsgate Library, Peter Kirk Community Center, and North Kirkland Community Center. And finally, here to City Hall, where you can see it in the lower lobby. So uh, thanks to Sierra, our information was distributed on city communication channels. Thanks to David Barnes and other city staff, um, there is now an internal idling policy for city, city fleet. Our next step um, is to hopefully use the remaining funds, which is about $500, to, uh, to extend into 2023 for some more outreach and education. And finally, uh, we want to thank you for supporting and funding this, this education campaign. It really has been uh, very well received. Uh, and that's the end of our presentation, and we open it to questions, if you have any. Thank you.
Good, bravo. Thank you. I mean, this takes your own time and energy and passion and willingness and willing to knock on doors and windows to do this. Thank you. Um, I'm hoping you're going to continue. You didn't talk about your next steps, so I'd love to hear that. And I also just want to share, and you've also changed my behavior. It, it's something that I'm conscious of, so thank you. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, Our, the plan is um, for 2023, uh, we have the three local high schools that want to do events, um, and so we um, will hopefully work with them, um, kind of educating parents and, and young drivers, and then um, possibly uh, work with the city on getting a banner that, that would be displayed during Earth Day. That's our plan. Well, ladies, thank you so much for this work. Like Kelly, you have influenced my behavior. Therefore, you have influenced my husband's behavior. <laughs> um, so you got two vehicles down. Um, I think the message is the right message. Um, it, it's, it's just a tough decision to make, and I know it seems illogical to turn your car off while you're waiting for a coffee and line at Starbucks, but um, you've convinced me. Yep. Um, you, you can probably convince a whole lot more people. I might suggest um, there's a, a group called the Sustainability Ambassadors yep. that works through Peter Donaldson yep. through the Lake Washington School District and actually beyond that. This might be a project that Peter might be willing to embrace. Yeah, he does know that we, early on, we mentioned it to him. I think he had a lot going on, but I'll bring it up to him again to see if he wants to Good grab idea. onto it. All right, thanks <laughs> Thank very you. much. Okay, this takes us to item eight, our consent calendar. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold to present an audit of the accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $8,383,784.64 and bills in the amount of $14,032,065.25. And I would note that the payroll amount covers two payroll periods given the date of our special meeting this month. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there a motion to approve the consent calendar? So moved. Second. It's been moved by uh, Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Black, uh, to approve the consent calendar. Any discussion? Great. All those. Are there any ordinances on it? Okay. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed. Motion carries unanimously. Excellent. This takes us. So, Madam Mayor, just uh, quick. So, the next six items are all linked with one relatively lengthy presentation. Just we could either do them all now, or we could do the short break and then do them all after. Just wanted to give the council that option before we jump into the budget. Okay, they're asking for a short break, so we'll be back in fifteen minutes, at whatever time that is. Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Okay, thank you. Recording. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So, as I said, the next few items are all going to be in a similar presentation from George Dugdale, our financial planning manager. And so we wanted to ask the council a question. We could do this two ways. Either he could give the complete presentation, and you could vote on each of them right after, or we could stop after each element of the presentation, vote on that piece, and then move on to the next one. 
Does the council have a preference as to how you'd like to do that? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my recommendation maybe would be to vote after each sec section just so it's fresh and you're done and you don't have to remember anything by the end. So George, does that work for you? It does, yeah. Okay, great. All right, so with that, I will go ahead and turn this over to Mr. Duckdale. Okay, thank you, City Manager. Good evening again, Council. Um, I'll go to the start there. So um, as the City Manager said, we have a, a somewhat uh, lengthy presentation of 13 slides for you here covering a number of individual actions for Council to take. I'm going to move through each section of the presentation at a relatively high level, as most of the material has been covered in previous briefings, um, although I do have detail where needed. But of course, if there are questions on something or if something's not clear, just um, stop me at any point to ask. So firstly, I need to mention that this is the culmination of the 23-24 budget process. I want to thank Council for all of your input and engagement as well as the financial planning team and the many people across city staff who have worked on this for the last six months. And not to mention, of course, the community who have provided their input through online, in person, at public hearings, and all the way through the process. So as a quick reminder, our theme for the budget was sustaining services and building a community where everyone belongs. As I briefly said, we've been through study sessions, public hearings, we've had formal and informal sessions to get to this point, and we believe we have met the theme and the aims of the budget process. So there are five separate actions in this presentation, which you can see on the screen there. Um, I'm going to stop after we finish each one for Council to vote on each action, and the slides that um, have the action will have a recommendation on them. Okay. So the first is... Um, Ordinance 4829, amending the 2021-2022 budget. So these are our final budget adjustments for this budget process. As is usual, the final adjustments are largely recognition of external revenue, uh, capital improvement amendments, as well as fiscal notes that have been approved since we last amended the budget in June. Some of the key amendments are highlighted here. There's a use of the human services reserve, um, there were two uses of the Council Special Projects Reserve for the Kirkland Health Fair and the Park Lane Consultant Study, and then some uh, relatively large capital adjustments, including uh, revenue from Redmond for Medic One rev um, rev revenue associated with Fire Station 27 construction, and then um, $2.5 million in sound transit funding for the Northeast 85th Street Third Lane project. Um, this project was originally budgeted in 2023 and continues into that year. But so that design can begin in 2022, we some of the external funding has been moved up to this budget this budget cycle. So the recommendation here is this table shows the changes in appropriation by fund type. Um, it's a total of five million, and with most of that, as you can see, it says in the non-operating funds, that's in the capital funds. Um, so the staff recommendation here is to approve ordinance uh, 4829. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, to get to the discussion started, I'll move uh, for adoption of Ordinance 04829, an ordinance of the City of Kirkland amending the biennial budget for 2021-2022. Second. Okay. Been moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Falcone uh, to approve Ordinance 4829. Discussion. 
Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'll keep this brief because I know we want to be quick. Um, but I just wanted to highlight one thing that wasn't a huge uh, financial addition, so it didn't make the key um, items list there. But I just wanted to thank staff for the thoughtfulness in updating um, the cooling and warming center upgrade so that folks could access the kitchen. I think that's a really thoughtful recommendation to put before council to look out for those most in need during the really hot and cold um, temperatures, that extremes that we see here. So thank you so much for your thoughtfulness for that. I wanted to highlight that. Thank you for that comment. Question is on the motion. Mo motion to approve ordinance 4829. Moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Falcone. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. Um, 2023 property tax levy adoption. George. Thank you, Mayor. So uh, the next ordinance is ordinance 4827. So this is an, um, an ordinance like this is passed by council each year and approves the total property tax levy for the next tax year, in this case, 2023. So in November, council was presented with the preliminary levy, which included an artificially high estimate of new construction, which you can see in that second column there, 1.2, just about 1.25 million, the artificial increase in construction. Um, so as the slide says, this is because the King County Assessor requires a maximum levy to be adopted by ordinance before the end of November. The Assessor then continues sending the city uh, updated levy estimates until we get our final estimate. So ordinance 4827 repeals the prior ordinance that was approved in November and represents and replaces it with this ordinance, which represents the final property tax levy for 2023 in Kirkland. And so the staff recommendation is to approve ordinance 4827. Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I'd like to move adoption of ordinance 04827, an ordinance of the city of Kirkland, establishing the amount of property taxes to be levied for the year 2023 the first year of the City of Kirkland's 2023-2024 Fiscal Biennium and repealing Ordinance 04824. Second. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, it's been moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to approve uh, Ordinance 4827. Um, all this, or discussion. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. Creation of a General Services Department. George. Okay, thank you. So, third up is Ordinance 4832, which would amend Section 316.037 of the Kirkland Municipal Code. So this ordinance is necessary due to the creation and structure of the Regional Crisis Response Agency. So essentially, Regional Crisis Response Agency employees will need to be Kirkland employees, as the RCR will not be large enough to carry payroll staff, benefit plans, and other administrative functions for those employees. As Kirkland employees, they will need to be assigned to a department with a director. There is currently no department in which those employees would fit, and so this ordinance creates a new department. Departments are listed by name in the KMC, and so we need to um, amend the relevance section of the KMC to include the General Services Department. So the staff recommendation here is for Council to adopt Ordinance 4832. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. 
I move that we adopt ordinance 04832 relating to the creation relating to creating the Department of General Services and amending section 3.16.037 of the Kirkland Municipal Code. Second. Moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Black to adopt ordinance 4832. Discussion? Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon. Yes. Councilmember Black. Yes. Councilmember Curtis. Yes. Councilmember Falcone. Yes. Councilmember Pascal. Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Yes. Mayor Sweet. Yes. Ordinance 4832 is unanimously approved. 2023-2024 uh, budget adoption. George. Okay, so the fourth action is related to Ordinance 4830, which would formally adopt the 2023-2024 budget. Um, has this, as this has been through more significant uh, council and community discussion in the past couple of months, I spent a little bit more time on this one um, to provide all the updates. So to recap where we started, the chart on the top left of this slide shows the total for the preliminary budget that was presented to council on October 25th um, of this year just over a billion dollars there, 1020. Um, the chart on the right also shows the major decision points that were remaining for council. Staff noted that a little under $8 million was available for reserve replenishment, an additional set aside, and then there was about $550,000 that was left unprogrammed. So following community input, council discussion, and public hearings, the dates of which are noted on the slide, Council approved a number of amendments on the November 15th um, meeting. The bulk of those are in uh, the bulk of the operating decisions are shown on the table to the left of this slide. It included funding the remaining human services request, um, adding sustainability master plan funding via ARPA, and a number of other studies and, and, um, and, and other council priority areas. In addition to these changes, there are four other additions and one um, reprogramming noted on the slide. So council reprogrammed funding from a service package for Calacula preliminary design and cost estimate, which provided some additional funding. There were also three parks amendments approving 300,000 for parks planning activities and 300,000 for funding community events. Um, about 400,000 was funded for team programs and made mobile recreation, which funded the service package um, submitted by the Parks Department for this activity. And then finally, on November 15th, um, staff brought forward a required addition of 436,000 to fund increases in contract jail costs for the year of 2023. And this was also approved by council. Following these changes, and once those were incorporated into the budget, um, council was still able to preserve all of the proposed policy reserve replenishments you can see there in the second table close to $3 million, as well as leaving the $2 million set aside for the Houghton Park and Ride. So I should be clear that um, there is a capital improvement project of $10 million for Houghton Park and Ride, and this is a $2 million addition in case the appraisal comes in higher than the initial estimate. And then also, um, close to $1.5 million of the proposed general fund set aside is still there, just $1.438. So this gives a total um, working capital, which is the unprogrammed ending fund balance of around $3.4 As I said, the assumption is that $2 million of this could be used for higher than anticipated appraisal for Houghton Park and Ride, and then there's $1.48 million, or $1.3 million, sorry, $1.43 million left um, from that what was originally proposed as a 1% of general fund revenue set aside. So 
Um, following the changes and others related to the 2023 capital improvement program, the total budget appropriation for the two years increased by $18 million. This increase in appropriation is primarily due to interfund transfers and new revenues. For example, as I mentioned, there is $10 million capital improvement project for Houghton Park and Ride. This was funded via a transfer from the general fund, and so it increases the size of the capital fund by $10 million, but doesn't necessarily bring in, isn't necessarily recognition of new revenues externally to the city. So the large $18 million increase is often because of these internal transfers. Additionally, there's revenue from the um, additional revenue program from the Regional Crisis Response Agency for the personnel costs associated with the new employees, as was discussed earlier in the creation of the new General Services Department. So the staff recommendation on this slide is to, um, to approve Ordinance 4830, which would adopt the biennial budget for 2023-2024. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, again, to get the discussion started, uh, I'd like to move ordinance uh, for adoption, rather, of Ordinance 04830, an ordinance of the City of Kirkland adopting the biennial budget for 2023-2024. Second. To be moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Curtis, to adopt Ordinance 4830, 4830 adopting the biennial budget. Discussion? Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I just want to speak briefly in favor of the motion, and really, I... I'm rising to congratulate the city staff um, for uh, a huge body of work. Um, and really, when you look at what um, the city of Kirkland's been able to accomplish, we managed to close uh, what I recall at one point was a $14 million forecasted budget shortfall um, without scaling back any of the services that we provide to the residents of the city of Kirkland. And in fact, in, in many ways, enhancing the services that we provide to the people of the city of Kirkland. Uh, that includes things like the RACER uh, agency uh, for mobile crisis response, and it includes things like the acceleration of the Safer Routes to School and the, and the projects in the active transportation plan. Uh, we also were able to replenish all of the reserves. Um, and uh, just to remind everyone, we were also able to provide um, all the support that the community, well, we tried, we tried to provide all the support that the community needed during the pandemic and during this recovery from the pandemic. Um, I know we've had um, help from a lot of uh, agencies uh, of government, um, but I'm just, it's a really remark, I just wanted to stop and pause and just say how remarkable it is uh, that we've been able to do what we've been able to do uh, with an annual, I believe, if I do the math right, is an annual budget increase of 6% uh, for two years, uh, which is really something like 3% each year, which is actually less than a lot of um, of inflation indexes uh, that are out there. So uh, I just want to congratulate um, definitely uh, City Manager Kurt Triplett, uh, but also D uh, Finance Director Michael Olson and uh, George Dugdale, who's just an amazing job of walking us through this entire process. So I'm going to be supporting this motion. Thank you very much. Councilmember Curtis. I'm going to pile on because I think we all are incredibly proud of this budget. Um, we continue to put our priorities into improving quality of life for 
all of our community members through investments in sidewalks and roads and parks and infrastructure and DEIB work and the environment and housing. And like Councilmember Black, I'm particularly proud of the expansion of our community responder program into the crisis response agency. And I'm proud of that we were able to fulfill the funding of the human services uh, grants. Um, this has been hard work, and like Councilmember Black, I'm incredibly proud of our staff and our city manager um, for the hard work on this and the success of this. So thank you very much. In order to avoid being redundant, I'm just going to say bravo and thank you very much. A billion-dollar budget is kind of scary. <laughs> uh, Redmond crossed this threshold this year as well. Um, but the fact that it's at 6% for two years is really astounding with, with everything that we have been able to accomplish. So question is on the motion to adopt Ordinance 4830, moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Curtis. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon. Yes. Councilmember Black. Yes. Councilmember Curtis. Yes. Councilmember Falcone. Yes. Councilmember Pascal. Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Yes. Mayor Sweet. Yes, motion carries unanimously. I think this is your last. No, George, are you done? No, there's one. There one is more. one. Oh, one more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so thank you, Mayor, and thank you, Council, for your kind words. Um, the financial planning staff, and like I said, lots of people across the city, both inside and outside the city, did work very hard on that, and we are we are proud of it as staff members as well. Um, so our final action is not an ordinance this time. It's resolution R5566, which adopts the 2023-2028 CIP. So the appropriation for the years 23-24 are included with the budget ordinance, uh, but we adopt the six-year CIP by resolution. So there are four changes since the most recent study session when Council saw the CIP on November 15th. The first two of these are replacing city funds with newly acquired grant funding. The third and fourth are creating new unfunded projects within the CIP. Um, the first of these is an oversight from earlier updates, and so that has now been added. And the second is to allow um, the city to, um, to use REIT reserves to fund a new RFB, or so rapid flashing beacon, at the Lake Washington Institute of Technology. Um, the project is unfunded as the need is based on um, the Lake Washington Institute of Technology receiving state um, funds in the 23-24 budget at the state level for a new college building. So if that is approved, the city will be able to use REIT funding as this has been included in our CIP and our CFP, which will be on the agenda later. In addition to the four changes, there are a couple of no noteworthy updates. So the CIP, uh, as seen on November 15th, previously had um, an affordable housing project um, funded with City REIT um, and, other, and, Art, and the Arts Trust Fund, um, but the project was, was just called Affordable Housing. That project is now called the Kirkland Heights Apartments. Um, so it's a 180-unit apartment complex located in Northeast Kirkland near the Totem Lake um, neighborhood. Um, and then Ordinance 4834, approved uh, earlier this evening, has approved the vehicle license fee that would allow the acceleration of the Safe Routes to School projects. So staff will return with a detailed delivery plan in 2023, and as discussed by Council, an annual plan, an annual update that shows the funds and how they were spent and how the implementation is moving along. And so final item here from me, um, staff wants to be clear that developer-provided projects in the CIP are those that are expected to be funded by developers without city contribution. 
They're included in the CIP for two reasons. The first is to show the full scope of the potential station area plan projects, um, either city or privately funded. The second is that if the project, if any of those individual projects did not happen for any reason and the city deems those necessary, as I mentioned um, in reference to the late Washington Institute of Technology, including it in the CFP and CIP would make the project eligible for refunding. But at this point, the city, um, those, those projects are assumed to be developer funded without city contribution. So for my final recommendation this evening is to approve resolution R5566, adopting the 2023-2028 six-year capital improvement program. Member Black. I'm really enjoying having all my motions seconded <laughs> and adopted. Um, I'd like to move approval of resolution R5566, adopting the 2023-2028 six-year capital improvement program for the city of Kirkland. Second. Second. Been moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Pascal, because it's capital budget, um, to adopt resolution 5566. Any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Thank you, George. Thank you. Well done. Okay, so that takes us to the next item on our agenda, the 2022 amendments to the comprehensive plan and zoning map. Um, city manager. All right, uh, so thank you, Madam Mayor. So this last item is also a little bit related to the budget, but also um, our annual comp plan update. So uh, here to provide the overview is Adam Weinstein, our planning director, and then also our senior planner, Scott Guter, is gonna make the presentation. Great. Welcome, planners. <laughs> okay, I think I will just go ahead and and present, actually. Um, let me get my presentation up. Um, and make sure my oops make sure my uh screen is ready to present actually all right um and where did everyone go <laughs> <laughs> oh that's Okay, let's see where everyone is. Oh, there you are. And, oh, here, there. There we go. All right, let me share my screen. Even the head spinning that we're watching tonight, we're thinking maybe we, we have too many devices. Yeah, how many monitors <laughs> yeah, do we yeah. have there, Scott? <laughs> yeah. No, I just have two. I've just, you know, my my screen is just, you know, I have too many windows open, just to put it that way. Too many applications. Well, we've got okay. your slide. All right, here we go. All right. Good evening, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and Council Members. I'm here to present the annual comprehensive plan and zoning map amendments. Now I'll try to make this brief as possible. I have a total of six <laughs> slides to present tonight. Um so 
every year the city amends the comprehensive plan. This year we have our annual, uh, our, our capital facilities plan amendments, amendments associated with two park acquisitions, um, an update to the urban center designation for downtown, and an update to our historic building structures, sites, and objects list. The first amendment is required under the Growth Management Act where the Capital Facilities Plan is updated for consistency with the Capital Improvements Program, which council just adopted with resolution 5566. Uh, there are two recent park acquisitions uh, that required uh, amendments to the um, land use uh, zoning map, parks, recreation, and open space and uh, um, element and the Fin Hill neighborhood plan figures. The um, figure on the left is the Winsky property uh, that will uh, be incorporated into the green, uh, green Loop Corridor in the Fin Hill neighborhood. And to the right is the Dunbega property um, that will expand the um, the Juanita Heights Park, also in Fen Hill. Um, I, I heard that there was a question about the this particular part of the right of way, Half Street. Uh, that is also going to be automatically turned into park as well, just uh, like the other Half Streets that have um, also been incorporated as park. Um, the next is uh, amendments to the uh, city's urban designation center to reflect the uh, King County's greater downtown urban center designation with the Puget Sound Regional Council's greater downtown regional growth center designation. The update, updated description incorporates the city's vision for downtown Moss Bay and Everest neighborhoods and the station area. And lastly, on October, 27, 2022, the King County Landmarks Commission nominated the Barth House located at uh, 7304 122nd Avenue North East um, as an historic landmark. This amendment updates the community character element figure CC1 list B, adding the Barth House to this list. Staff's recommendation the council uh, for council action tonight is to adopt or, um, ordinance 4828, approving amendments to the comprehensive plan and the zoning map. And that's it. Excellent. Okay, don't fight over it. Council Member Black. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, I'll move for uh, adoption of ordinance 04828. It's got a very long, Second. do I need to read the heading? Okay. Okay, it's been moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Falcone to adopt ordinance 4828. Any discussion? Uh, all those in favor, then please signify by saying aye. It's an ordinance. ordinance. It's an ordinance, how'd that happen? Okay, <laughs> clerk, we call the roll, please. Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Motion carries unanimously. Thank you very much. Okay, with that, we move on to draft legislative support agenda discussion and our brand new legislative affairs manager, Diana Hart. 
will be introduced by city manager. Nope, that's exactly what I was going to say. We're very excited. She's been here less than two weeks, but we have our, our government affairs manager. She's here to make her first presentation to, and gets to see you all live. So uh, we're here to talk about the draft support legislative agenda, which we're not looking for action tonight. We'll be looking for that at the January meeting. So here to make that presentation is Diana Hart. Welcome, Diana. Thank you, City Council. Um, so tonight, um, we'll be, as the um, city manager acknowledged, we'll be discussing the um, support agenda. Um, to acknowledge how we got here, um, the we've um, the council has gotten through um, developing your legislative priorities, and um, the legislative work group introduced those legislative priorities to um, all the members of your delegation over the last. Um, several weeks. Um, tonight we're discussing the support agenda and we'll bring it back on January 3rd for your um, consideration of formal adoption. And just the next week, uh, the legislation will, our legislative session will kick off and we'll run through April 23rd, if my math is right, on 105 days. Um, the legislative support agenda starts with the following statement, um, which acknowledges that the support agenda is a is a collection of policies with which the council generally supports, but that any language uh, requires review and approval by council prior to support. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that before we discussed the components of the agenda further. The agenda goes on to state um, the following items generally. Um, so acknowledges past um, priorities and uh, carryover items from agendas. Uh, calls out specific infrastructure um, projects and efforts, and then identifies um, legislative agendas under the following groups um, with which the council generally sub has general support. Um, some changes from last year's legislative support agenda includes removal of items with which the legislature was successful last year, like a transportation package, um, and inclusion of some new items like gun safety and um, the Public Records Act uh, predictability for good faith efforts. It also adds legislative agendas for the East Rail, Puget Sound Regional Council, Pro-Choice Pro Washington, Planned Parenthood of Greater Washington and Northern Idaho, um, Washington's Co-Responder Outreach Alliance, or CROA, from staff and the legislative work group. And then also removes support for the um, governor's supplemental budget for the same reason that the transportation um, package was removed. The following attachments um, in your packet are the legislative agendas that were available at the time of um, packet. For your next meeting, there's a couple more agendas that will be included, including the Eastside Transportation Partners, uh, ETP, and Wire 8 Salmon Recovery Council. So those are some additional items that will be um, brought forward. Um, with that, happy to turn things over to you for any questions or discussion, um, and we'll incorporate any feedback you share tonight for um, uh, your agenda or for upcoming meeting in January. And that's my presentation Thank for tonight. Thank you, Diana. <laughs> Councilmember Curtis first, I think. First, I want to say welcome. And we are so pleased you're here. And the legislative work group is now whole. And we are ready for January 9th, full speed ahead. Um, we completed the last of our six legislative coffees on Tuesday. Um, I can't say enough about how valuable it is to sit down with our legislators and talk about their priorities and our priorities. And I do want to share that uh, the reception to our capital requests and to our legislative priorities were very positive. Um, and we're lucky to be represented by such hardworking, passionate people. 
Um, I wanted to update, take the time to update you all on the SCA legislative agenda and request that we add the SCA legislative agenda to our support agenda. Um, there has been much back and forth between myself, SCA leadership, uh, the SCA legislative committee, and other stakeholders on revising the public safety language. I sincerely appreciate the efforts by the SCA leadership to make sure that Kirkland was happy and approved the language, particularly David Hoffman, worked really hard and really collaboratively to make sure that everyone was on board. Um, based on my understanding of the council's feedback, ongoing conversations with our state delegation and how they particularly see, saw public safety moving forward this session, feedback from the police chief and doing a check-in with city manager, I felt that the proposed language that I sent to you all today would be acceptable. Uh, Councilmember Falcone will be taking my place tomorrow night, and she is planning on voting in the affirmative. I expect all SCA uh, pick members to vote in the affirmative. I can spend time talking to the language or see if anyone has any questions about the language that I sent today. Great. Good, that made life easier for me. Okay. Well, good job coming. coming. Well, in a, like I said, it was a very collaborative process, and um, I, I appreciate the effort that, the, that everyone made um, to make sure we're happy, and I think tomorrow night will go very smoothly. Um, so I don't have to go through the language. I was going to say, um, someone asked me today why this agenda was different from the other agendas, such as AWC. Uh, the SCA legislative agenda, we're pick members are required to take a vote. It's not like AWC when they present a legislative agenda to us and we, we add it to our, um, to our support agenda. And so because we were required, I was required to represent the council and take a vote, I think we needed to take this extra time. Um, the other uh, question I have for council is I would like to request that we add again to this legislative support agenda the Washington State Conservation District. Um, I had a KCD meeting today. There will be another two bills coming forward on potential election reform um, on the Conservation District. So if everyone's okay, we can add that back. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, I read through all these uh, legislative priorities and um, frankly, there is a few things buried in there that who knows what they really mean. One, uh, <laughs> but um, there were some that I um, oppose or I'm skeptical of, so I thought I'd mention those, although, I mean, we do have our caveat built into the language that we don't actually support anything until we can see the bill. Um, uh, but, but I'll just mention three. Uh, first, I, I continue to oppose creation of a state bank just on principle. I don't think that the government should uh, directly compete with a service that can be and is provided by the private sector. Um, second, I'm very skeptical of the proposal to legalize jaywalking statewide. Um, I, maybe Councilmember Pascal could explain why that's a, an improvement in safety, um, but I, I just don't see it. And um, third, I <clears throat> oppose rent control even if it is cloaked in a euphemism like capping rent increases. I just think it's a very bad idea. And every place in the country that has rent control, it completely distorts the market and the quality of housing, the maintenance goes down, and it's just a bad policy 
And I would not want Kirkland to support rent control in the state of Washington. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. <clears throat> Since my name is called, I'll just respond real briefly. Um, I don't know a lot about the jaywalking proposal, so I can't speak to the benefits or the impacts of it. I will say that there's that that's something that the Transportation Choices Coalition is looking at. And I would, if folks are interested, they do have a really good presentation on it. And I had signed up for getting a presentation on it, but then a conflict came up and they were disappointed. Um, and so I said, you should talk to our legislative work group. I'm sure they would love the presentation. So um, so do you mind if I forward nope. you their, uh, your name to them? Okay, thank you. Any further discussion? Well, thank you, Diana. You're off to a roaring start. Yep. See you in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that takes us to item H, the Kirkland 2044 Comprehensive Plan Update. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> so the intent tonight is to give you an overview about what we're about to launch um, heading into 2023 for the 2044 update. I'd actually say it's actually been launched, as you saw during your cocoa. Our crack team has already been out to a couple different places, uh, reaching out to folks. Um, but so here to give you that presentation is our senior planner, Janice Swinson, and she's supported by the rest of the leadership team of the planning department. Good evening, Madam Mayor, um, council members. Can you see my presentation up on the screen? We can, Janice. Thank you. Okay, super. Um, we thought it'd be a good time to brief you on the status of the comprehensive plan update with two uh, major reports um, completed that will uh, uh, help uh, guide us through this process. Um, as you can see, the logo here, uh, we feel that that represents the um, comprehensive plan update and the future of Kirkland, that um, everyone belongs here and we are striving for a sustainable, connected, and welcoming uh, Kirkland. Uh, just a reminder on the key themes of uh, advancing diversity, equity, and um, belonging, and sustainability will be, uh, all of these themes will be interwoven throughout the comprehensive plan update. We're gonna be uh, looking at housing options for all and housing affordability, mobility connections to regional transit system and accessibility, resiliency, smart city initiatives, and consistency with uh, city council goals. So far, we have uh, completed an initial uh, staff review of each element of the plan to scope out the level of changes, and we anticipate minor to moderate uh, policy changes. With the majority of the key focus for uh, uh, larger and moderate uh, changes to the housing element and transportation element to update the transportation master plan that will be updated. So we'll be incorporating changes to the TMP into the transportation element. Uh, we are uh, gearing up for a big media launch uh, this week and planning for our January 11th virtual visioning event for uh, um, from 6 to uh, 7.30. PM and we have a survey up on the uh, 
20, uh, 44 comprehensive plan update, and we've been doing some tabling events. So we're off and running with, with the um, update. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to our consultants to give you an overview of the two reports, our community engagement plan that we will use for both the comprehensive plan update and the transportation master plan update. So I'd like to turn it over to Valerie Pacino. Thank you so much, Janice. Good evening. Uh, we're excited to present the work that we've done in collaboration with Kirkland staff over the last few months in anticipation of the Kirkland 2044 update, but I know it's been a long night for you all, so I'm going to zoom through my slides, and of course, we'll open it up for questions, but there's a lot more in the actual documents that I won't get to, so I encourage you to dive into those. Um, working with staff, we arrived at these goals to increase participation from all community members and from priority populations, to reach stakeholders who want to live in Kirkland but can't, to ensure that those who participate in engagement activities find them meaningful and resonant with their values, to ensure that those who, are, who participate also feel that their voices were heard and understand how their input will be used in the process, to help, the, to help the community understand the role of local government in their lives, to build excitement and expectation among stakeholders to participate in future planning activities and the next comp plan update, to forge durable relationships between the city and priority populations based on trust and respect, and ultimately to create a future Kirkland that is stronger, more vibrant, and more inclusive. So we're aiming high, but we also have a plan to get there. Um, next slide. So yeah, no, this is the right slide. Um, just as a reminder, we've included the list of priority populations here. They're all consistent with the groups identified in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging five-year roadmap, um, but they're outlined here. Um, next slide. The engagement plan provides a menu of different engagement um, strategies and activities, and we'll profile just a few of those here's, here. One uh, strategy is a series of community conversations with priority populations, community organizations, and neighborhoods. Staff is going to be attending in the community and hosting pop-up opportunities um, to meet people where they are. They're also going to establish a series of focus groups where people from priority populations will be asked to engage in different element topic areas. Another strategy is to engage high school students through curricula that will be co-designed um, with city staff and local high school teachers. Um, next, our key messaging is going to avoid what we think of as planner speak, so that people don't have to be armchair experts in good planning principles in order to engage in the process. Instead, we're going to focus on asking questions and framing the conversation to find out what's important in people's everyday lives and their vision and ideas for the future of Kirkland. Of course, we're going to rely on traditional media, social media, website updates, and email announcements, all of which will be coordinated with communications staff. 
Another strategy is to use longer surveys and then quicker snap polls to get more quantifiable responses to some of our key questions. We'll also use um, outreach materials like more traditional handouts and then more uh, innovative story maps as well as uh, videos at various uh, phases. And then staff is gonna make a concerted effort to close the loop after each phase to reflect back what was heard from the community and demonstrate how input was given and how it will be reflected in the final plan. Next slide, please. Um, here you'll see the draft schedule for the way staff will focus on different elements in a rolling fashion. Staff are busy doing outreach and engagement already in anticipation of the kickoff and visioning event on January 11th. And then we'll hold the community conversations and focus groups around sustainability, climate and environment. Um, focusing on transportation and land use in March and April. Moving on to housing and human services with a special focus on the DEIB roadmap in May and June. Moving to city services in July and August. And then wrapping up the element focus on economic development in September and October. So that is a lot to digest and there's way more in the actual plan, but simultaneous with our work to develop the community engagement plan, our partners at Echo Northwest created an equity review report and I will turn it over to Jade Aguilar to provide some background on that. Great, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yes, concurrently with the work that uh, Broadview Planning had been doing, what we did was really took a deep dive into your current um, Kirkland's current uh, comprehensive plan, and then really were looking for opportunities for improvement, really with the focus on equity um, in the next iteration. So next slide, Janice. Thank you. So we really did an equity gap analysis of the of the current and existing comprehensive plan, and then tried to construct a report, which again, I can only uh, briefly mentioned here, but encourage you all to take a closer look at sort of a, a how-to guide to plan for equity as, as staff engage in the next round. Um, we see it as a companion document to the current DEIB five-year roadmap, and we used uh, the, many of the initiatives in the roadmap as a guide for things to consider as you reflect on the comprehensive plan. We also started out with the community profile for Kirkland, so just some some demographics, some mapping that can kind of give folks a sense for what the current uh, lay of the land is there in terms of who, you know, where are these priority populations living? Um, what can we better understand about the city as we dive into really thinking about how to make sure that resources are equitably distributed? So within the, the report, we have recommendations on questions to consider. So these are really sort of equity uh, framework questions about embedding equity in different policies. There are some um, policies to consider mitigating displacement of vulnerable populations as we um, extend resources into certain areas and, and wanting to protect the populations there. Again, Valerie talked a lot about inclusive engagement um, and really just improving access to opportunities for, for everyone in the community and with, with a particular focus on those priority populations. We made reference to a number of state regional like the PSRC, King County, 
and other policies that we know that the city will need to uh, be reflecting on as they share their comprehensive plan back and wanting to make sure that you're, you're in alignment with those larger um, regional frameworks. And then also just some specific text and policy improvements about what could be done differently or expressed differently to make this a more inclusive plan for, for the changing community in Kirkland. Thanks, next slide. So just to give you a sense of some of the text and policy changes, this is just a tiny snippet. For instance, some really great work has been done um, on Kirkland's native history. And right now in the existing comprehensive plan, that's not well reflected. So incorporating more of that recounting into the, the introduction of Kirkland's um, history in the document, it being more explicit in, in some of the more you know, um, troubling elements of the history so that we can acknowledge the harm done and, and consider what can happen moving forward. And then some of the other issues around housing as just another example, um, we talked about in the, in the existing comprehensive plan, there's a lot of uh, talk about community character and neighborhood quality and we just want to also ensure that the plan um, is being clear about those concepts and really emphasizing the importance of access, affordability, safety, and health in the way that we uh, frame neighborhood um, quality. Um, and then also, you know, thinking about policies that might improve the city's effort to preserve the existing affordable housing stock and working on mitigating the replacement or displacement of the vulnerable communities that that exist there. And just as a, you know, brief context of what you might find in there, here's a kind of map that that shows where we see folks um, where there are higher proportions of folks that that live under the federal policy limit or sorry, poverty limit. So you can see that there are certain areas there that have 20% or more of the residents that um, are, are very low income. And so really thinking about uh, mapping as you reflect on the kinds of uh, resource allocations that you'll make in your city. Next slide. I think this is when I pass it back to Janice. Yes, thank you, uh, Jade and Valerie. We just have a couple um, more slides and then we want to open it up and um, have council ask questions of Valerie or Jade or um, where we're going next. So this is just a reminder of the phasing for the comp plan update. And we're really um, gonna be focusing on our visioning, vision statement, changes to that, um, any study issues that need to be addressed with each element we're going to, uh, for, for this next year, we're gonna be focusing on incorporating Eco Northwest recommendations into each element and looking at the policies. Um, we're going to start the transportation master plan update and we're coordinating with transportation division on that and environmental review. And then we're looking at fall and summer to have a draft plan uh, ready for everyone's uh, review and final adoption in uh, fall of 2024. And this is just a, a quick slide of how uh, people can get involved in the process by visiting the project webpage for the um, Kirkland 2044 Comprehensive Plan update. We have a designated um, email address there that people can submit comments. We've got a link on our website for the, vision, for the uh, visioning survey. And also we're gonna be um, working on more tabling events that we 
uh, will be, so we'll be uh, at Kirkland Urban next next uh, Saturday. So, so with that, we wanted to open it up for uh, council questions that you might have on either report from Jade and uh, Valerie and get your feedback. Excellent. Thank you for that report. Um, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you, Janice and team. I have to say, I really, really enjoyed reading this memo. Um, reading through the community engagement plan and the equity review, you get it. You get our values. You get the direction that we want to go. So thank you so much for that. Um, I did really enjoy seeing the You Belong Here banner at the, um, at the Light Up Kirkland event uh, this past week. And I just think it's beautiful. I think it's really, really welcoming. And I agree the, the three words there, sustainable, connected, and welcoming, really, um, you've really done a fantastic job with that. So thank you. I, there's a lot that I liked about it, so I won't go into detail on all the things that I liked about it. I like that you brought up you know, avoiding planner speak. I agree, I'm really happy to hear that we're gonna have this really accessible to folks in the community that can really understand and the language that we can all understand, right? As council members too, we're not experts in this, so I appreciate when you um, uh, share things with us that are not in planner speak as well. So thank you for that. Um, I was really happy to see the in the community engagement plan the focus on historically excluded groups. Um, in the priority populations, I didn't see um, community members with disabilities. So let's add that please to the list of um, priority populations as well. Um, also really happy to see the plans for having a panel with the um, priority populations. That's the uh, methodology I've been advocating for a while for the city to do. So I'm really, really happy to see that we're moving in that direction. I think that'll give us really robust and thoughtful um, engagement and input from community members. So thank you for that. I, um, I hope that this is a pilot that we'll be able to use that methodology in other community engagement and data collection efforts as well. Um, I, I had a note actually when I was early reading on that was then satisfied later on. So I was really happy to see um, your um, focus on really everyone who wants to live in, work in, play in, learn in, or visit Kirkland, but can't. Um, but what I was looking for a little bit more of is how. How are we gonna reach those folks? The methodology that I see in there is really engaging with folks that either are out in the community and at, at um, grocery stores. They may not be able to live here yet, but they do, you know, they might play here or shop here, or otherwise be engaged in the Kirkland community. So I'd like to see a little bit more. I love that idea. I love that vision, right? And we had similar discussions when we were talking about the 85th stationary plan of not just speaking with folks who are here now, but really being forward thinking and think, you know, who could be a part of our community years from now, decades from now. So I love that. So thank you so much for that. But again, I'm looking for a little bit more how, because I think that's a really, really tough nut to crack. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. I know it's not easy. Um, so again, thank you for that. Also wanted to just highlight one of the um, key themes. Thank you for presenting those key themes for the um, comp plan updates. Um, one of them I wanted to highlight, developing accessible and mobile connections within Kirkland and to the regional transit system. Just for community members who may still be watching at 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, tonight on the um, slides, that those words within Kirkland weren't on the slides, but they are in the memo, and that is something that we're working on. And the reason I feel that's so important is because 
we're working to, and to have a vision of a really connected city, a really connected community, and even micro communities within the city of Kirkland. And this can be things that we're already working on, like active transportation, ways for folks to be able to, to walk and bike and roll to, um, to school, to grocery stores. And it also means creating more places and spaces within communities for folks to be able to actively transport themselves to, right? And that could be corner stores, that could be um, pocket parks. And so it's really just creating that sense of connection, not just to transit, to go somewhere else, but within our communities as well. So just wanted to highlight that since that wasn't on the slide. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Um, Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I had the same thoughts as Councilmember Falcone and that I really enjoyed reading that. It's almost like my budget book. I started to put <laughs> tags everywhere. So highly engaged. Um, so I, I appreciate the report and I also agree I'm super excited about the branding and um, the, the, the graphic. So, so I'm going to provide you some feedback and then I have other notes that I'll probably email to you. But um, I want to talk about target audiences first. I, I really appreciate that we're going to, I wish I could see you guys because all I can see is myself, which is not oh, yeah. fun. <laughs> it's like, there I am. Um, I think it's really valuable that we're planning on reaching out to high school students. I want to advocate um, for your consideration an, another demographic, and that is the 20 to 30-year-olds, because we are talking about a 20-year plan, and the 20 to 30-year-olds are at the beginning of their careers, they're looking for opportunities, they're deciding where they're gonna live and where they're gonna settle. Um, they, they have challenges finding housing, um, and they have different needs and expectations. They want more entertainment than older adults. So um, I think it would be worthwhile to focus on that demographic. Um, I have a 23 and a 26-year-old at home. No, well, they're not at home, but anyway, that's high on my mind. Um, renters, we talk about reaching out to low-income rent renters, which is, of course, important. Um, but 38% of our residents are renters, and I, I really want that to be the participation number that we strive for when we look back at our demographics on who we've reached. Um, there was a comment in there that we're going to reach the youth through bouncy houses and touch a truck, and I, I feel like that skews a little young, so I'm not sure if we're trying to reach the parents of the youth that are touching a truck or what, so that was a little, little confusing to me. Um, in the timeline, we've put parks in sustainability, and I, I raised this issue when we were going through the station area plan. For one, the timeline talks about uh, Kirkland's future sustainability, climate, and environment, and it talks about the surface water master plan. It doesn't talk to, about the sustainability master plan at all, so we need to make sure that that's in there. But I feel like parks should be a part when we talk about environment, I don't think we think about parks. We think about parks as being a service. So I, I don't want people to show up. I'm afraid that we won't capture the people that we want if we leave parks in environment. So I would suggest that we move it to services. Um, as far as social media, again, because we're looking to target a younger demographic as well as our older demographic, I'm hoping that we're going to use texting and TikTok and any other uh, tools besides Facebook. Um, swag. Speaking for the older Speaking generation. for the older generation. 
swag. <laughs> you know, we all have drawers full of keychains and coffee cups and so forth, so I want to be really thoughtful about what swag uh, that we distribute. Um, to Councilmember Falcone's comment on how we capture people that not only live in Kirkland but could be our future residents, we hope our future residents give away hot cocoa because we gave away <laughs> 800 cookies and I don't know how many gallons of hot cocoa on Saturday. So maybe uh, instead of swag, we can entice people with food. And now that I think about it, we could have had our hot cocoa council station and the comprehensive plan next door and we could have funneled people down. Or maybe they had to do comp plan first and then they got their hot cocoa. <laughs> so just think about that. Um, feedback on questions. I really, really, really appreciate the avoid planner speak, and we all do it. So specifically about our questions, when we talk about the transportation, I'm afraid that a lot of people think transportation and they think about cars and buses. They're not thinking about walking and bike riding and scootering and so forth. So. I think we need to reframe that. I don't know if we're talking about mobility or we just break it down. Like, how do you how do you get places? So, um, you know, how do you get around and what would make it easier? Housing and human services. The term we're using is housing options. That's not how I talk about my housing. So again, I would talk about: Are you happy with your housing situation? What services are critical for Kirkland? Do you feel like you can afford to live in Kirkland? Um, sustainability, again, when I look at the questions on environment, there were no parks questions. So that's great. Let's move parks to services. Um, stakeholders, of course, we're always, Councilmember Falcone and I are always going to go, who else do we need to talk to? And along those lines, um, how do we plan on looping people back in? I felt like, how do we make this process iterative? I felt like with the station area plan, we started really strong with multiple voices weighing in at the beginning of our process. We really captured at the start of the program a diverse population of voices, but we lost them over time. And then at the end of the process, we were only hearing from certain segments of our, um, our, of our community, and I think it's important that we keep people involved all the way through. Um, Specifically on Eco Northwest, I love reading everything you put together. Thank you. I had written hearts and check marks and stars and so forth. I couldn't agree more on including the inclusive language. I couldn't agree more on removing references to community character. We know that that is used as a weapon um, in our conversation, so I think this is really important. I agree with removing passive language. I just love the whole thing. Um, the one thing that I will say is on um, HS31, maintain and support the Kirkland Youth Council, I would expand that to reframe it to how we support all uh, community, young community members, not just the Youth Council. And thank you, Council, for indulging me on my long comments. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. Um, 75 <laughs> gallons was because I had to fill it up and carry it, so I kind of Multiple times. <laughs> yeah, that's my estimate, at least. Um, I just have a, some some brief comments here. First off, to the team, I, I always like to call up really impressive work. And being in the planning business, I, I'm very impressed with uh, the work of the 
consultants and staff. So I've been using it as reference in some of the things I've been doing. So thank you for that. Um, on the key themes, the one the one area that I I was kind of looking for in key themes was something to do with our businesses or economic development, and I didn't I didn't see that expressly called out like all the other things. Um, you know, small business retention, attracting small businesses, um, and or you know something around how increased uh, work from home is really changing needs and priorities in the community. So something, those are kind of the things that are on my mind. I just want to, I, I know we're addressing the housing piece, but I also want to also think about the economic and the jobs side as mm -hmm. well. And then finally, I told you this was going to be brief. Uh, finally, my last comment is around the citizen amendment requests. I see that those are, those close at the end of the month. I haven't, I feel like I, I stay plugged into city stuff. I haven't seen anything regarding that be publicized, and if we're really wanting to get amendment requests from citizens, I think it would be good, and maybe you're planning on this in the next week or so, but these things probably take time to think about. Um, be nice to publicize that a little bit more. Um, that's uh, that's often, uh, yeah, I don't know how else we get, we get citizen amendment requests. I don't know how that happens, actually. Maybe I just don't understand it very very well, but that, that would be, that, that's just a question. Thank you. Thank you, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor, um, and thank you to Councilmember Curtis. It covered a number of things that were on my list. A couple things to add and emphasize. Um, first, I really like the work on the community engagement plan and the equity review. It, it is setting this work up really well, both in how much forethought's gone into it and uh, how much thinking on the equity review on language for a plan that we did seven years ago that we're very proud of and how much that needs to evolve and really appreciate the, the thinking on that. In the community engagement plan, when we're talking about uh, people that want to live in Kirkland and can't, some of this is gonna be helped by the questions of the people that are living in Kirkland. And there was a question in there, are you satisfied with your living in Kirkland now? And for a great number of people, if they're living in Kirkland, we're going to say, yes, I'm happy that I'm living in Kirkland. But the real question we're going to ask is, what about in the future? Are you happy about your ability to live in Kirkland and your options to age in place? Are you happy with your the options available for your kids to come back to Kirkland as they go to college and start their careers? Um, want to make sure that we're thinking about not just asking people not just about their current situation, but thinking about the future, because that's what we're looking at in this comprehensive plan update. Um, there were some questions about uh, services and services disruption that are specific to city-provided services, and I'd like that to be looked at more, more broadly. We had a um, big power outage near uh, Thanksgiving, and that's an important service, but it's one that the city doesn't provide, but we may support where we are needing to say, what do we need to do about overhead power lines and trees, and do we want to invest in undergrounding and those sort of things. Uh, and uh, finally, about economic development, um, the questions there talked about um, uh, some, uh, a lot about uh, current uh, economic uncertainty and stability and, and security and, and future economic shocks. Also would like to broaden that to say, well, 
What about the opportunities in Kirkland for the shops and restaurants and experiences and services? Where are the things that you have to go elsewhere? Um, are, are we thinking broadly about that in economic development? Um, finally, building on a point that Councilmember Falcone has had mentioned about the how of getting housing, there's an item on page E page 303 in our packet that says, you know, given the work we've already done on our growth capacity around the stationary, we may not need to do an environmental analysis. Um, that, that may be the case, but I want to make sure we have the flexibility to really uh, focus on housing affordability and housing attainment. I think that's going to be something that will be a lot of attention that needs to be a lot of attention in this plan and of interest in the council. And I hope that any environmental studies that we're looking at scoping gives us the flexibility to do so. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So I waited to see um, if my colleagues would actually uh, address this issue. And actually, um, all my colleagues uh, talked about different aspects of this, but I really want to drill down on one um, uh, key element of the engagement. Um, when we, and, and so we, you know, uh, some of my council members were talking about the businesses and jobs and economic development. Um, and I really want to focus on uh, the population of folks who, the demographic of folks who uh, want to live in Kirkland uh, but can't. And if you look at the pool of people who want to live in Kirkland and can't, one of the biggest categories has to be the folks who work here, um, who um, help enrich our community with the businesses, uh, or, you know, through their work for our businesses. Um, and we hear a lot from business owners in Kirkland about the challenges they have retaining um, a healthy workforce. Um, and partly it is that um, it is cheaper for a lot of the folks who they would hire to live and work somewhere else. Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, the goals of, of creating a Kirkland where you can work uh, where you live and live where you work. Um, and so when I looked at this, I was really trying to find where we, where we really um, um, describe with some specificity our re outreach to the workers um, in the businesses in Kirkland. And there's some references. I mean, we, you know, we do on page 314, we talk about low income households. Um, on page 349, we list some of the organizations we might talk to in that category of low income. But if you look at that, it's really mostly human services organizations providing uh, services to those with, who are low income. Um, on e-page 318, we do talk about how we're going to try to do some outreach to workers, but there, again, we're really talking to people who represent workers, um, like unions and their employers, and we're really not talking to the what tens of thousands of, um, of people who work in Kirkland who would love to live in Kirkland, whose employers would love to see them be able to work in Kirkland. So I'd really like us to... Um, to emphasize uh, that, and I can see the possibility of, um, of a, a panel uh, conversation with workers at any number of our, um, of our uh, employers, um, offer hot cocoa and cookies after shift, <laughs> talk to the, talk to the, 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 um, you know, the manager who just got off shift along with a number of her workers 
um, who are just coming off shift and find out how they feel about um, uh, Kirkland and what they would like to see and what would make Kirkland a place where they feel like they could live right where they work um, and, and, and through that positive feedback loop really help um, make our businesses um, even more healthy because we know that enhances um, Kirkland for everyone. Um, so it's a point of, uh, yeah, I would just say that that's another point of emphasis. I'd really like to see us uh, think hard about how we can uh, really outreach to that uh, large group of people who would love to live in Kirkland. Yes, sir. Uh, great comments, everyone. Any, anything further? I think um, I just want to emphasize uh, two things. By the way, they, they are beautiful reports, um, a lot of information. Um, I feel like we are setting ourselves up for an incredibly successful 44, um, 25 on steroids maybe, um, asking the, the better and more intensive questions, really, uh, really incorporating our values into this process. Um, I think it, it, it permeates what, what has been laid out for a plan. Um, I do want to see more focus on economic development. And where I'm not sure to go, because right now we're in the midst of an enormous transition, at least downtown, um, from, from restaurant to restaurant, but different kinds of experiential restaurants and more drinking establishments, but not bars. Um, and it's going to change the feel of downtown. I'm interested in being able to understand sort of how, uh, how, how retail is really going to evolve because what's happening at Totem Lake is very different than what's happening in our downtown center. And maybe that'll change with, with the addition of more buildings at Kirkland Urban. But I think it's something we really need to understand. The other thing I think we really need to understand as we consider economic development into the future is the fact that these car dealerships are going to go away. Um, it, it is, it, there is no way to believe in my mind, and particularly speaking with a, a good friend of mine who happens to own one of those lots, that lots are gonna last much longer. So anything that we can do to incorporate that consideration into our process. I think it, even if it's only in terms of researching what other communities have been able to figure out, but I think that will help us from an economic development perspective. With that, goodness gracious, are we done with this part? It's going to be a fun ride. Thank you all well, for your reports tonight. Thank you very much, and I want to thank uh, Valerie and Jade for attending tonight, and thanks for all your comments. Okay, super. This takes us to item number 10, and it's just after 10, uh, reports. So we'll do city council, regional, and committee reports. Councilmember Nixon. Nothing to report. Councilmember Black. Nothing to report. Councilmember Curtis. Well, I just want to wish happy holidays to everyone. Um, whether you're celebrating Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, or any other event, I hope that you are surrounded by your loved ones as you celebrate your traditions. And I don't know why these guys have nothing to report because we did all the holiday <laughs> festivities. <laughs> Couldn't get rid of us. So Google Lights, Winterfest, Light Up Kirkland, bring it on. So it's been super fun last couple of weeks. And um, 
that's all I have. Oh, wait, PFEC was last Thursday. Uh, the committee learned, they got to meet Michael Olson and wonderful George Dugdale, and they got to learn about property taxes in Washington and our regressive tax system, uh, ballot funding mechanisms, the city budget, and history of ballot measures in Kirkland. They were highly engaged, really smart questions. Um, they now get a well-deserved break and will resume in mid-January. Fabulous. The ones that were at my champagne tasting. <laughs> um, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I am just going to keep it short and sweet and say happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. Um, my turn. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, I just had two issues to bring up. The first is with the holidays approaching and our next meeting after, right after a holiday, I wanted to just raise the issue around uh, meeting packets and when those are available publicly. Uh, what got me thinking about this was, I think it was Veterans Day um, a few weeks ago or last mm -hmm. month, and the packet came out on a Monday, and our, I think our meeting was the next day. And I'd like us to just uh, be uh, be thinking ahead about that to where if, if, if there is a holiday on a Friday or, or whatnot, that we figure out how we can get the packet out before the weekend so that the community doesn't just have one day to, to review it. Because um, I have heard from some community members that, that that's, that's really important that they have time to, to weigh in. Um, I don't know that we've addressed this in the past, but that would be something I would like to be addressed or at least looked into. I don't know if you need a legislative request for that or I don't think I need a legislative request for that. I think it's a longer conversation about the the uh, challenge uh, that, yeah. that that creates in the packet, and I think that might be a really good like retreat topic. But we certainly do try to do it. I think the the main issue would be to have the public get the packet simultaneous with the council. So mm -hmm. if the council was right. supportive of that, that's possible. But in the past, councils preferred to get it at least a little bit ahead of time, so you're not getting questions from people who read the packet before you did, right? So. Uh, but yes, I think it's a longer conversation, but we certainly can, uh, I think, bring some options for you. Okay. Oh, no, I'm not done. Oh, sorry. I, know, I knew that. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, let's definitely keep that on the list for discussion. Uh, the second item is around the dog park conversation that, that the public was talking about. Um, that obviously, um, I think we all agree that that's a that's a need. Uh, I don't think that's that's the the issue. The issue is how how to allow a temporary dog park there all year long. Um, there's some there's some significant challenges there with that site, uh, and they made a specific request about kind of more fully exploring what options there are uh, now. I've had conversations with Kurt and Lynn about this, and what it sounds like is that some of those options haven't been fully vetted um, in a great amount of detail, um, and that, um, that that is is something that I feel I would like to be presented with to see really are there some solutions like not allowing parking during the winter months. Is that viable, um, and would that address that this kind of gap um, in, in the winter. Uh, so, th so I guess what I'm asking for is 
should I ask for a legislative memo on this or just make my statement like this? I mean, that would be my advice. It's just a motion for a legislative request memo with options for temporary options at Snyder's Corner um, through the winter and the spring. You want to make a motion? I'll so moved. Second. Second. <laughs> you brought a dog in. <laughs> it's been moved by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Black. Um, discussion? Councilmember Nixon. Thanks. Um, there's also been some discussion about whether we might be able to strike a deal with the county to do a, a temporary dog park at Taylor Fields. And uh, I was wondering if that could be considered as part of the same analysis so that we have the multiple options for that. Um, after, after the great work you guys did on picking up 350 pounds of Explore. dog poop. <laughs> 60, 360 pounds. We have the receipt. Yes. Um, uh, the question arose, as you'll recall, is that whose responsibility was that that you ended up fulfilling? And uh, we've looked into the contractual arrangements that exist, and um, it doesn't appear that anybody has responsibility for that during the winter, which to me wasn't a problem, it's an opportunity. Because if the city was able to do that, I mean, there's a decent road in there, it's flat, it has much better drainage than Snyder's Corner, et cetera. So I would just like to, if it's okay with Councilmember Pascal, to also take a look at that possibility as part of this study. This is just a legislative um, request memo, so I, right. assuming we're not doing the study, we're just right. coming back. So coming back with that, the, uh, back with what that would take. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I'm happy to add, add that to the memo. Yeah. Councilmember Black, did I beat you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Mayor. So I just want to speak in favor of that, and 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 um, sort of under or I'll, I'll drop a footnote which is um, the one thing about Taylor Fields and its use as a dog park is actually that, uh, speaking of a uh, problem that actually presents an opportunity, um, right now what we have is some small little league fields up there that are entirely fenced and they're being used as a dog park. Um, and so what that means is you have, some of, some of the waste gets picked up and thrown next to the trash can and the mayor eventually goes up there and shovels 360 pounds of it away. But a lot of the, the rest of it ends up in the, in the ball field. Um, and that's, not, that's just not acceptable for the families and the kids who use those uh, facilities. So again, problem with an opportunity, the opportunity is now, you know, since Councilmember Nixon raised it, is a dog park in that location perhaps pulls people away from using the ball fields as dog parks and instead they use the actual fenced off dog area, which I think is much more favorable for the, the families and uh, the kids who use those fields. Thank you for adding that. Uh, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, one process question for the city manager. According to our policies and procedures, a legislative request memo uh, has you returning within two council meetings uh, back. Is that, uh, is that something that is possible, or um, uh, would you recommend an amendment that would give you more time given the end of the year? I 
I think that, you know, there's sort of two issues. Returning with options for Sinus Corner would be more straightforward. Returning with options for what you'll see in the legislative request memos, returning with options for Taylor Field would be probably much more resource intensive and take longer. But we'd lay out what you would want to do and whether or not the council wants to authorize those resources. But I think we could at least highlight what the potential issues would be within the next two meetings. And then we'd have to see what the reaction is to that. But thank you for asking that. Thank you. Councilmember Curtis. She's waving now. <laughs> um, so I just want to put strong support in this moving forward. It's really clear that there's a demand, there's a need, there's a community being built. Um, these people have become friends. We want to encourage that kind of community building. And in this process, of, as we review it, they have offered to uh, provide volunteer resources and funding. If And what I was going to say in response to Councilmember Black's uh, comment was um, dog park people are very good at policing each other and taking care of space, their space. Um, you know, Mary Moore is very well maintained by the people who use it. So I do feel like if we were to activate Taylor Fields, we'd see less poo bags thrown outside of the garbage can. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, are you done, Councilmember Pascal? Yeah, I think we have to. Oh, I got to move. Yeah, it. I'm yeah. sorry. It's been moved by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Black, to do uh, legislative request, request memo. Request memo uh, with regard to um, citing a dog park up in bridal trails. To present options for Snyder's Corner and explore temporary dog park at Taylor. Well done. Write that down. <laughs> okay. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Two things to note. November 30th, Puget Sound Regional Council had a joint board equity training. Dr. Charles Patton uh, did, it was an amazing, did an amazing job on it. It was recorded. When that recording is available, uh, I would recommend, highly recommend you all uh, uh, taking a look at it. Uh, provided a lot of history of, of um, previous actions going back 150 years that have led to inequities today some things that we think about as happening elsewhere that happened here, that even started here. And it was a very powerful training, and I would recommend it's worth the hour of time when the recording is available. Uh, secondly, on uh, December 8th, a number of us were, were able to attend the Kirkland Police Department promotion and swearing-in ceremony. This is an opportunity where we hear about some of the backgrounds of the new people joining the Kirkland Police Department and uh, some of the amazing uh, talents that they bring to our community. And then we hear about uh, new people being promoted and some of the amazing things that they have done in the community and the work that they've done. And it was just always very inspirational. And it was fantastic to be able to do that in person um, and, and meet uh, new people that are part um, of KPD and continuing um, the uh, great work and vision and values that we've laid out for the department. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to add a couple things. You just made me think of it. Um, 
on our behalf, I've attended the funeral for Officer Jackson, who was killed in, in Bellevue. It was an incredible uh, event. Um, there were over a thousand people there. The procession, the um, you know, the flags outside on the extended fire trucks. It, it, it was huge, and um, I mean, his story was such a powerful and, and moving story that um, those events are just. I've been to two of them now with Nate's. They are an incredible tribute to people who we rely so heavily on. Um, I also uh, participated in Small Business Saturday. We didn't have a huge turnout for the for the proclamation. I don't know why, um, but it was a fairly. It started out as a pretty slow day, uh, but reports that I've gotten in since then, holiday season is kicking in. It's kicking in slowly. Um, yeah, with the recession and all the rest of it, but people are feeling pretty good about it. I also attended the SCA annual dinner. Hillary France was the speaker there that night. Um, I went was invited to a meeting with uh, the chamber with Mark Johnson, who's the Washington Retail Association representative, a government agency representative. We talked about retail theft and uh, catalytic converter theft on a, on a statewide um, basis. And, you know, everything we're hearing from Sherry is spot on. It's getting worse and worse. Um, I'm trying to think of what business it was that didn't have any cars. I just heard this today. Anyway, it was a whole fleet of cars was wiped out in an evening in a, in a locked lot. I mean, it's, it's crazy what they're doing out there. Um, and then finally, last week, I went to the Chamber Awards Banquet, where our Public Works Department, God bless them, had put together a package for what is known as, and you might know this more than most, the Litter Lady in Totem yes. Lake. The Litter Lady is amazing. Francine Johnson, um, she just started on her own to pick up litter on her walks and has started a whole movement. As a matter of fact, we're going to do some cham chamber events around doing some cleanups in the new year. But uh, the public works crew put together a sign like this, says Litter Lady, Francine Johnson. They made her, now, and, and I objected to this one, they gave her a personalized safety vest. <laughs> Has any one of you got a personalized no. safety vest? <laughs> yes, I was very upset about that one. But she loved it. As a matter of fact, she wore it away from the meeting. Uh, we got her grippers, we got her gloves, we got her bags. We, I mean, she went out totally knocked out. She was just overwhelmed by the response from Public Works, as was I. So thank you very much to Julie and team. That was just beautifully received and I think a great, a made, made for a great ending to that particular event. And that is all. Over to you, sir. Okay. Thank you. So uh, I have a couple items. Um, I think the first we might be able to move quickly, but we did have a letter in the packet about a letter to the GMPC on behalf of Kirkland, but I know there's been some conversations about potentially postponing that letter. So rather than speak to it, maybe Councilmember Curtis or Falcon or someone wants to speak to it first. Sure. Um, I'm not sure how much history I need to provide, but you all are aware that Councilmember Falcone chairs the SCA Caucus for Affordable Housing Committee. I am a member of the SCA Caucus for the Growth Management Planning uh, Council. Affordable Housing Committee has made recommendations to the GMPC. 
the to get to the crux of it, the SCA caucus for the GMPC um, is at a stalemate. Um, Mercer Island sent a letter at, at, followed quickly on the heels by North Bend in opposition to AHC recommendations before the caucus had even had a chance to meet. Um, during the caucus, uh, we agreed to disagree and that's how we came out to the general meeting. Um, I suggested to the city manager and the mayor that Kirkland also weigh in. Um, housing is a priority for the city of Kirkland. I feel like uh, if we stay silent on this issue, we are sending the message that we're in agreement with uh, Mercer Island and North Bend. It's unfortunate that the caucus can't come to an agreement, um, but we all recognize that housing policy is complicated and every city and every council member has a different perspective on the best way to move forward. So uh, staff has drafted a letter. I feel like I have some feedback on the letter. I feel like it needs a little more work. Um, some of my comments were, we need a preamble, we need a problem statement. We immediately jump into, we support option three. I think that this letter is gonna go beyond the GMPC caucus, or beyond GMPC, so we need a preamble. Um, I feel that housing and our Mercer Island and North Bend included their housing numbers in their letter. I think it would be worthwhile for Kirkland to include ours so that people see the differences between the three cities. I think there's some structural changes just as, to make it a little more readable. It's ponderous. It's ponderous, <laughs> the mayor just said. Um, and I would, I would lighten the tone a little bit. Um, if we're a little on our high horse, we have reasons to be on our high horse. We have adopted Missy Middle Housing. We have adopted a housing dashboard, but I wanna be, I wanna be positive and collaboratively, collaborative. And another um, suggestion I have is we don't, we don't provide a solution. We don't talk about what actions, what next steps would be useful. Councilmember Falcone, who again, I will say, has done a brilliant job leading her caucus with unanimous recommendation to GMPC. One of the things that she suggested is the leadership of the GMPC caucus and the SC, or the AHC, so many acronyms, the AHC caucus sit down together and talk about um, where we go from here. So I feel like the letter needs a little work. Uh, the GMPC meets again on January 25th, so we have a little bit of time. Um, I, I wanted to originally send it on the heels of the other two letters while it's close of mine, but I'd rather do this well. So my suggestion is, is that we create a subcommittee to work on this letter, that we bring the letter back to council on the 17th to review and approve, and then we can send it to the GMPC for the 25th. Thoughts? Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, thank you, Councilmember Curtis. You explained that very eloquently, much more so than I perhaps would at this late hour. So thank you for that. Um, yes, just to highlight some of those points, um, we did end up in the SEA caucus for um, the Affordable Housing Committee with unanimous support for option three, but we didn't start there. Um, it took some work and it took some time and it took some collaboration to get to that point. And I'm very optimistic that GMPC could also get to that point. Um, and I feel like, um, you know, as Councilmember Curtis mentioned, um, meeting the um, two SCA caucuses meeting together, I think would be a really good starting point. Um, that is something that I raised at our last caucus meeting and the full caucus support, supported that idea as did SCA staff. And so hopefully GMPC caucus will 
will as well. Um, I wouldn't normally um, suggest that we send a letter like this, but I agree in the context that these two other letters have been sent um, in opposition to the unanimous recommendation of the Affordable Housing Committee. I think it is very fruitful to have a, to provide balance um, to those perspectives. And so I do recommend that we send a letter. Um, but what was successful in getting unanimous support in SEA um, AHC caucus was um, having a very collaborative approach, having a lens of we're in this together, let's figure this out together as SEA cities. Um, and I think that if we carry that tone into this letter, I think that will be more, uh, that will be fruitful. So I would certainly volunteer to be on the, um, the committee to work on revisions with staff um, and colleagues on this letter to, again, I agree having some sort of introductory introduction to the topic would be really helpful, but really framing it. There's a lot of fantastic information in there, but just framing the tone um, in a very collaborative approach of we're in this together would um, I think be more helpful. Thank you. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I appreciate the work that my colleagues have done. It's great that uh, you two are both so plugged into this, this particular issue. Um, regardless of whether we're able to get to a consensus point in SCA, if we're not, according to SCA's approach on these things, they basically say, okay, individual cities, continue and pursue your own interests. So I think it is going to be very important that Kirkland weighs into GMPC regardless of whether you're able to get to a consensus or not. So I appreciate the idea of continuing to work on this letter. In many ways, this discussion is similar to other discussions that have happened on growth management. The last time around was around um, some of the smaller outlying cities in the region where they were exceeding their growth targets. And there was a discussion of, well, what about all this work that's happening in the pipeline? What about realities on the ground where our growth strategy is that we don't want to encourage a lot of growth outside of the urban area. How do we go resolve that? So I think we came to a strategy then about saying it's not about whether you hit your number or not, it's how you bend the curve. Mm -hmm. And I think that discussion could um, be very similar to what we're talking about here with communities like Mercer Island and, and, and others. So I would also volunteer to be on uh, this work group to work on revisions to this letter. I think that's a great idea. Councilmember Pasco. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to weigh in on, not on the substance of the topic, but on the process here of this letter writing. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that I think these two other cities feel like almost prematurely penned some letters, right? without having a fuller discussion and having some face-to-face -face discussions of the electeds. I mean, that's the whole point of SCA is to bring together and to work through issues collaboratively, face-to-face. -face. I get concerned when the letter writing happens too soon in the process because it can kind of taint that collaborative process. Uh, it's good to say what our values are. We've already stated those in all our policies and priorities and, and work program and stuff. It's good to say those, but I just, I just, I get concerned that, that we're doing it too soon and that we're kind of taking the same approach that these other two cities already did, even though we're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. So um, 
I just know that like if this happened in, in the SCA caucus that I'm part of with regional transit, we tried super, super hard and did everything we could to avoid that at all costs. Because once you start doing the letter writing, it, that's when things break down. Uh, and yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at. I, 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 it's not about the substance, not about that. It's about, I'd like to, is there more time that we can give it just to kind of see if that collaboration happens and then you pin the letter once, once we feel like we're kind of at that point where it's not gonna go any further. Um, we, we, wanna, we wanna work with our cities and I don't know how many cities feel one way or the other, but we wanna really work with them and, uh, and not and, uh, build bridges and, and so forth. So that's kind of where, that's my, that's my word of caution. It doesn't, this doesn't make me feel in, in my sense, this is not how, I, I'd like to give it some more, a little bit more time. That's just how I would do it. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, so I really appreciate um, this discussion. Um, and I really appreciate uh, Councilmember uh, Curtis and Councilmember Falcone for really um, bringing this issue to the fore and letting us discuss it. And uh, the only thing I was going, to, the only reason I rose to speak was I don't want to assume that Councilmember Curtis is going to be, wants to be on the subcommittee because she's one of the hardest working members of our council and has a lot on her plate. At the same time, I know this is something that's important to her. I'm willing to volunteer, but I understand. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to volunteer if you want to be on this subcommittee. I wouldn't be surprised if you said you did. I do. <laughs> I do, since I'm at the table. I do. I think that we have to assume that it's you and Amy both are, it's too important. Yep, that makes total can I, sense. Can I go to Councilmember um, Nixon first? Yeah, I think um, Councilmember Pascal's uh, remarks are well taken, uh, but maybe there's a middle ground. I, I don't want to delay writing the letter, but we can delay sending the letter, mm -hmm. right? If we write it and then share it with the colleagues in the SCA caucuses and say, you know, if this all breaks down, here's what we would say, then that might help drive the conversation within the caucuses toward convergence. That's just my thought. Great. Councilman Curtis, you can. Um, I, I was going to make a. I'm going to go first. Okay. Because okay, <laughs> um, 22 years ago, my husband was the president of the Sound Cities Association. Um, and they couldn't agree on what temperature it was outside. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it has been an evolution. Over, and, and 10 years ago, John Marcioni and I were at arms with each other over where to, whether to site a transfer station. So, I mean, one of the beauties of Sound Cities Association is it is an opportunity for us to share ideas um, but we have long held that policy that if we can't agree, then we simply are not going to take that position. I think they've been very brave in trying to put together legislative agendas with the diversity of opinion that exists in, in the organization. So um, that's just, that's just a, a little refresher. Sounds as association is more powerful when they're all together with one voice, but the reality is we're very different and in our approaches to many of the issues that we deal with. And Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'm glad that there's a history to this. Um, I, my, my suggestion was gonna be, let us come back with a new letter 
and then let us talk as a council whether we want to send for it. I, I appreciate Councilmember Pascal's perspective. What I, what I believe he's trying to avoid is an escalation. I'm hoping that um, we can craft this letter in a way that it is bridge building and suggest ways to move forward. Do we need a motion? Yes. Sure. <clears throat> Go ahead. I'll make a motion that we create a subcommittee of Councilmember Falcone, Deputy Mayor, and myself to draft, uh, to revise the letter to the GMPC and bring it back to Council on the 17th. Second. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Falcone to revise the presented letter and bring it back to the meeting on the 17th. Any further discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Back to you. Okay, thank you. Uh, these next two will go quicker. Um, so, and also related to housing. So the first is you all received a email from Martin Morgan, and we also got some testimony and we received a second email from uh, Mr. Hoff regarding um, the potential for looking at the zoning along 85th Street in the stationary plan. Uh, we're going to be working on some of that in January to come back to the council with options. And my question is, based on the feedback you're getting, would you like staff to develop some options for looking at a transition height in that section um, that we could bring to council for discussion as part of the stationary plan? Yes. Yes. Ed Nuts. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, just a comment. Um, could could we could we get some email on exactly what's what they're talking about? I'm not like oh sure, sure. Just so clear. Yeah. So and this issue is also a little bit of what the planning commission has talked about, which is we have these really tall heights, and then we drop down to 35 feet, and right along 85th on both sides, there may be an opportunity to look at it. Do you want a transition height of higher on, density on on 85th Road the, specifically, or off 85th? Off it. A, a block or two, so, so maybe there's. I'm hoping someone from planning is still watching. Either Allison or Adam can speak to this a little bit. Oh, there's Allison. <laughs> uh, good, good evening, Council uh, City Manager. Do you want me to just give a little bit of an overview of where we're kind of looking at? Yes, if you have a map, that'd be great. Sure, um, I can share my screen and show you a couple of the areas. All right, so. Council members, you should be able to see my screen. Looks like um, there we go. All right, it's getting a little it's getting a little slow this time of night. So, um, essentially, right now, this is the existing zoning map in the station area. So we've got Northeast Eighty Fifth Street right here. This is One Twentieth. The zoning map already reflects the adopted commercial mixed use district. Um, in the phase two zoning, what you see in red here, or this outline, I'll trace it here if the colors are difficult to distinguish. The red area is what we're including in our neighborhood mixed use district that has the taller heights generally along 85th. Um, that neighborhood mixed use district is also proposed right now to include this office zoning right here that you see. What it doesn't include right now are these two small areas of what is medium density residential zoning right now. 
And so what we might look at in consideration of this letter, if you ask us to move forward, is how we might apply station area zoning to these two areas here that are medium density residential zoning to provide something of a height transition from Northeast 85th Street down into what will remain low density residential zoning. Thanks, Allison. Uh, sure. Councilmember Nixon, did you have a comment? Well, I just want to say, I, I don't know, maybe Mr. Morgan thinks that he knows he, that I, I'll listen to him, but he contacts me a lot. Right? And uh, I'm generally supportive of, of this concept of, uh, um, I've always felt that in, in this area in particular, the north-south width of the station area is too narrow and that there should be some additional opportunity uh, within easy walking distance of the station for higher densities. And if we were to increase the heights on these parcels that we're talking about here, uh, even if it, if it maybe 65 feet or who knows what, you know, something uh, that would allow some lower, maybe multifamily development, but at a greater height than what's allowed right now, that we would be taking advantage of better leveraging the investments that the region is making in this area. And so that's why I support the idea. Thank you for that. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Quickly, I was just going to say that um, I don't, it's not that, uh, I actually um, support the concepts that uh, Councilmember Nixon was just describing. What I, I believe, though, if I'm not mistaken, because I've asked this question of the planning staff before, this would be one of the very few, if not the only area of single family um, residential in the stationary that we are rezoning, that we are upzoning. We've been upzoning, um, to use that term broadly, we've been upzoning uh, commercial areas and, um, and mixed use areas. Um, so if we're going to look at this, I just want to look at it more broadly. Like where, where do we have other single family Zones. We've been talking about, um, uh, to the extent the interest here is in not having one building be 25 foot and, and the next building being 150 feet, we've been talking about that as part of the stationary plan from the very get-go mm -hmm. um, about transitional uh, uh, planning. And I think the planning staff has done an amazing job of looking at that. So here we're hearing about this, this one area. I just want to, if we're going to look at this area, I want to look at all the areas that are similarly situated, not just these. In the station area. In the state. Yeah, sorry. In the station area. Um, you can breathe now, Allison. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so if, if I also made that, one of the reasons we asked about options is because there's also some constraints. We have a current EIS that you know, we can't just sort of look at everything again, right? There's, there's a, we'd have to be a little bit focused, but I think that's why we'd come back and say, here's some places we think we might want to look, and here's some places we may not want to look right now because we'd have to, we'd have to reopen some things. And then we also have the 2044 comp plan process where we could also take another. Mm -hmm. so. Uh, so, yeah. So just to clarify my comment, it's not that I think we should open up. It's that I want to know if we're going to make this decision. I just want to be aware of where we have similarly situated lots that we have made a conscious decision uh, not to examine. I just want to make sure we're looking at the whole thing. Okay. Even if we're not, did I make that clear enough? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Councilmember Pascal. So, it, did I hear you say earlier that Planning Commission is also recommending that we look at this? 
Not necessarily this specifically, but they've talked about this concept. Again, maybe, Allison, you can speak to that a little bit. Well, I'd, I'd, if, if so, I mean, that would also be worthy information to share that, of what the Planning Commission's thinking, um, too, you know, the, if they're recommending us to look at it, rather than just two residents. I mean, a commission that's been studying this, that would be helpful information, too. That's all. Okay. Okay. Anything Bye. else to provoke conversation? Anything on a high note? So, uh, before I go to calendar, I do have one positive, very positive uh, housing um, update. So, uh, last week I had my very last meeting as the chair of Arch after three and a half consecutive years. I, I mean, who knows? I may be Arch chair again, but um, one of the things that was really cool about that meeting is we actually had the largest set of applications for affordable housing that we've ever had. We had the most money that we ever had. We had, and these will come to you for approval, but the um, uh, Community Advisory Board and the Arch Board actually recommended the biggest diversity of housing that we've ever done. And one thing that's also really cool that you'll see, and I'll probably send a little short update before you get the full packet, but there's also the uh, historic investments in Kirkland projects that came from the Community Advisory Board recommendation. So, uh, it was very cool to see, and as we're talking about all these other things, just one of the reasons for that, I think, is all of the ways that the Kirkland councils and, and planning staff have set the stage for housing in Kirkland. So you'll see these projects, and I think you'll be very proud of, of what you've allowed to happen, both as Kirkland and also as Arch. So um, it, was, it was a neat moment. It was a good one to end on. I'm very happy to turn <laughs> the baton over to Redmond at this time, but um, uh, you'll see lots of cool housing projects coming to you for approval. So I just wanted to leave you on that note. Excellent. Thank you okay. so much. And that takes me to the calendar update, and this is uh, something I got some emails about, but we are um, suggesting, based on some feedback from the community and from council members, that we move the health through housing public hearing from the January 3rd council meeting to January 17th council meeting uh, to give both the community and the council more time to look at the information when we get it and also staff more time to work with King County to finalize it. So I just wanted to see if council was okay with that. that Good. Uh, did you want to say something, Deputy Mayor? Yeah, just, just quickly, in addition to moving the meeting back, um, there was some feedback on getting information out to the community before the council packet, and if there is that opportunity, we'd love to have more time. We, we will certainly try. The, the issue with this is it's it's negotiated documents with the county, so it's, it's going to just be a question of when they're done, right? So, um, But yes, yeah, so I think we're happy to make those available as soon as they're Councilmember Black, you are. This Sorry, is it. Madam Mayor. Well, <laughs> very close related to this, we've gotten requests that the uh, permits, the draft permit support of a housing agreement, be included on our comprehensive city webpage, that um, with links to all the information related to the permit support of housing. <clears throat> is the answer that it's not on there because it's a it's a negotiated agreement right now between the city and the county? I believe everything that we presented publicly is now up there. Again, I don't know if Deputy City Manager Lopez is watching this, but, um, and we can, as soon as we have documents that are ready for public viewing, we'll post them even if they're draft, but okay. there's, there's still a key missing piece on background checks versus the alternative proposed by King County that's still under, in the works. Jim, I think you made that commitment at the meeting last week. Do you want to clarify that? Uh, yeah, we, we thank you very much, City Manager, Madam Mayor. We have updated the Health Through Housing landing page. So now there's a section that has my most recent PowerPoint and a direct link to the presentation I made at Council with all the 
council packet documents accessible to that link. So it's very easy to get to it. Perfect. Anything else from any, any other calendar updates? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. Go ahead. And I would just like to finish with thank you for an extraordinary year. You've done amazing work, and thank you for your amazing work on the budget process and your kind words for the staff. It's just been a true pleasure on behalf of the directors and the staff and everyone. We're just so grateful for your leadership and all that you do. So happy holidays to all of you, and, and thank you for a fabulous 2022. Thanks. Thank you, Kurt. Ditto, Ditto is right. <laughs> with that, I will call this meeting adjourned. That's a heavy lift, kids. <laughs> See you next year.